All right, good morning, everyone. My name's Mark. Uh, I'm at work at Spirit Rock. I'm the event coordinator for today. So if you have any questions, need help with anything, feel free to grab me. I also have quite the crew of uh, wonderful volunteers this morning. So they're all either wearing name badges or name tags, and they'll help out too. Um, I, our office is, as you came in the door, just to the left downstairs. So that's a good place to look for me if you don't see me up here. Uh, I'm going to make a couple of quick announcements before we get started. Turn off your cell phones if you haven't already. Uh, we use wireless uh, technology here, so the stronger, uh, bigger bandwidth, the stronger signal we get, the better it is for both our recording and our uh, audio. Uh, we offered continuing education credits today, so I just want to make sure that we've got everyone signed up. So if you're here for continuing education, you would have checked in at the uh, first registration table, and they would have sent you to Keith at the second registration table where you would have signed in there given your uh, license number, and been given a survey. So if we missed any of those parts, please head out uh, right now, because we have to close CE registration in about 15 minutes, and we'll get you all registered properly. It was $60 for CE credits, if anyone's interested. Uh, let's see here. During our lunch break today, we'll keep this room open. Weather should be nice. Um, I think, anyways, the weather's supposed to be nice today. Let's <laughs> try sure check. Uh, the meadow over here has quite a few picnic tables and benches. Uh, you'll see picnic tables and benches kind of throughout the property over by a building or administrative building. Feel free to use those. We ask that you don't go into the silent retreat area. If you'd walk up this road here, you'll see a large wooden gate and about 100 yards up ahead. Uh, and just please don't go past that. That's a silent retreat area. And those people are in their uh, third or second or third week of a silent retreat or longer. Some people are even on their fifth week. So we try to keep this quiet as possible, even near there. Um, when we'll take some breaks during the day and after lunch, you'll hear the bell ring outside or in inside three times, you'll hear it ding. Uh, and that'll be your uh, uh, call to you basically start heading towards the classroom. We'll ring the bell outside and inside about five minutes before either class or the break resumes. Same thing if you're on walking meditation during the day, you'll hear the bell three times and then just start uh, walking uh, back towards the uh, hall. Uh, we, if you have any beverages, fine. We just ask that they're covered. Uh, we have cups and lids out there. The cups and lids are compostable, so feel free to throw them in our compost. Uh, any questions at all from anyone? I'm here throughout the day, so just feel free to. Well, you're in for a treat today. We have Mark Coleman. Mark's one of our Spirit Rock uh, Teachers Council members. He's the uh, founder of Awaken the Wild and the Mindfulness Institute. We actually have his books on sale in the uh, bookstore today, as well as a sign-up list for him uh, for email and some information out there on some of his upcoming classes. Uh, Mark's been practicing Buddhist meditation since 1984. One of our great teachers. Thank you, Mark, for being here today. Thank you, Mark. You want to just adjust the sound? It seems really high. Oh, it's over there? Okay. Yeah. So how's the sound? Can you hear me? I'm sure you can hear me. I probably don't need a mic, actually. <laughs> but anyhow, is that yeah, good? <coughs> good to know where the mic volume is. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks. So good morning, everybody. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Welcome to this day of insight meditation. Lovely to be here with you. Lovely to be on the land. This feels like a spring day. And um, look forward to exploring these teachings and practices of wisdom and liberation. Curious to know anybody new to Spirit Rock today? There's quite a few. Great. Wow. Lots. 
And how many of you is this your f the first time you've done a, a day of meditation with pra practice? Okay, great. All right. Um, now before I, I launch in, I, I'm, I'm curious what brings you here today, and um, you know what 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 was it that drew you on a Friday? to come to Spirit Rocks, especially to all the, those of you who are new here. Um, what was the, uh, anyone like to share? What, what's either what, what, what inspired you or what you're hoping to learn or what kind of outcome you're hoping to experience or yeah. anyone like to share? Yes, yes please. Mm-hmm. So working with physical and emotional pain. Anybody else have some physical emotional pain here? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a silly question? It's a silly question. <laughs> okay. We are on planet Earth. <laughs> well, we'll be exploring that. Thank you. And what else? What draws you to come and sit for a day? Yes. good insight to have. We can read all we like on meditation and all this stuff, and if we don't actually put it into practice, it's, it's nice to know about, but <laughs> it's philosophically interesting. <laughs> doesn't actually transform us. Yeah, so great. Yes, Carolina. working with fear and how to stay grounded in the midst of it. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. Yes. emotional sufferer. That sounds painful. Yeah, it's true. We are all chronic sufferers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so learning how to sit still in the midst of it. Yeah, great. Thanks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Slow down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, slow down. Gain insight. Yeah, anybody, anybody moving fast in their life? Anybody? A lot going on, too many deadlines, not enough time. Yeah, we move fast yeah. Yeah, as a culture and individually and I think to our great detriment. Yeah. Yeah. Yes?
Oh, great. Hopefully we've got lots of ideas today. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, again, we, we, we live a lot in our thoughts and our head and not so much in our body and, 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 and uh, in our heart. Yeah, so great. Yeah. Mm, great, great intentions here, great, I'm sure many others. Um, I know some of you come just to refresh, just to a day to practice, a day to just to sit and be quiet and sort of bathe in the teaching and the field, you know, which is very important as, you know, as we, as we practice for longer periods. We, it's important for us to keep renewing and, um, you know, we're always students. You know, how even, even if we've done this for, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we're still uh, always learning. And um, these teachings are interesting in that way in that they're very simple. You know, they're very immediate, they're commonsensical, they're pragmatic, and and so simple, yet so challenging to live, to integrate, to really fully be in alignment with our own understanding and what we read and, uh, and our you know, deeper intentions and aspirations. So... I want to welcome everybody in the room, both those of you who are new to practice and then you, those of you who have been sitting a long time, which I know some of you have. So um, a little about myself. So I'm uh, originally from England. I've been here since the early 90s. Welcome. And um, been connected to Spirit Rock since, uh, I don't know, since the 90s, but started teaching here in 2000 and uh, trained in Asia and uh, England and here um, and went through teacher training with Jack Cornfield, who's one of the founders here in the early 2000s. And um, so I've been teaching you know, full-time, as much as one can teach full-time for the last 15 years <coughs> or more. And... Um, I also teach in many different settings. I teach a lot here. My passion is to integrate these practices of mindfulness with nature and the outdoors. So I lead a lot of wilderness trips, meditations outside, day-longs, various beautiful courses in the wild. And, um, and then I also do a lot of consulting and training in companies. I, I, I been for the last dozen years, been bringing these practices into more secular environments in healthcare and business and the UN and nonprofits, and uh, as a way of trying to bridge the wisdom here and the chaos out there. Um, I just came from actually taught at Google the last three days in a mindfulness and emotional intelligence program. Very interesting to be teaching in the hub of tech and trying to bring mindfulness and groundedness, talk about being in your head. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of great things happening there, you know. So it's beautiful to see these teachings spread, and, you know, it's why these, these days are popular, you know, because mindfulness is getting a lot of attention these days, in the last five or ten years, and it's fast, last five years particularly with the growing body of research on meditation and its impact on the mind and mental health conditions and our emotional 
challenges and attention and memory and um, you know all things that we know, you know for those of us who've been meditating for a long time they're all things we know from our experience and it doesn't hurt to have it validated in uh, you know, labs at Stanford and UC Davis and wherever else they're analyzing meditators. We've had a bunch of research done here at Spirit Rock actually on the one month long ret one month retreat um, tracking meditation impact on telomeres, part of the chromosome that uh, responsible for aging, deterioration, and um, yeah, interesting times. When I started meditating in 1984, my meditation was weird, Buddhism was a cult, and mindfulness was what? <laughs> <laughs> and now 30 years later, and it's like, you know, I don't know a company where it's not having mindfulness trainings and or a hospital that offers doesn't offer MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction, or you know schools are you know proliferating with mindfulness, and so it's a, you know it's a great thing, you know, and, and necessary, given the busyness, pace, and complexity of our lives, and the increasing interaction with our devices and gadgets and screens, and less time in our bodies and in nature and with each other live so very necessary um, uh, counterpoint or support for our well-being so Yogi Berra the great philosopher baseball said unless you change direction you will continue in the same direction <laughs> and that's really a good uh, kind of basis for our day-to-day. -day, you know. If you carry on in the same direction as we do in our lives, same habits, thoughts, patterns, behaviors, beliefs, we will continue in the same direction. And as I've been hearing from the people in the room, that direction may not be so great. Stress, overwhelm, emotional challenges, stuck in our heads, caught in reactivity or fear or all the different ways that we can suffer in our lives, in very real ways. So these teachings are a way to offer some, uh, you know, insight and perspective and methodologies and practices that allow us to both know ourselves, to see where we are, and to see the habits of mind and heart that are not so functional, not so supportive of our well-being and, and happiness and peace. Right? And we all have uh, ways that we don't see clearly. We have ways that we don't understand ourselves, ways that we get caught in, in our beliefs or attachments or reactivities that cause us to experience a lot of unnecessary extra pain. Right? There's, there's plenty of pain in life that we can't avoid. Physical pain, pain of loss, pain of um, you know, the pain of the, the world's political situation, the pain of racism, the pain of exploitation. There's a lot of, you know, internal and external forces that are just painful, part of life, getting old, getting sick. And then there's a lot of pain that we add on to that experience you know, through reaction, through resistance, through contraction, through self-hatred, through all in many, many, many ways. D is there any seats? Do you need seats at the back there? There's seats over here on the side. 
So this is from the Buddha. He said at the beginning of a uh, well-known discourse uh, on mindfulness, he said, there's one thing, one way that leads directly to the purification of beings, to the overcoming of sorrow and regret, the ending of suffering and discontent that leads to realizing freedom, peace, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. So that's a big statement. That's a big promise. <laughs> realizing peace, freedom, and the overcoming of suffering and discontent. I'll sign up for that. <laughs> right. So um, these teachings and practices of mindfulness and that, that, that lead to understanding and insight can profoundly transform and liberate ourselves and our experience. That's the point of this teaching, is to free ourselves from suffering, from self-created suffering. And that's the possibility in both micro and macro ways. Mostly it's micro. We make, we make small uh, shifts and understandings, and we see the way we get caught, the way we... Uh, react the way that we um, add unnecessary pain to our experience. And we do that through awareness, through knowing ourselves, knowing our mind, knowing our body, knowing our heart, knowing our patterns and behaviors. And we begin to see uh, ways that we are contributing to our distress. So I remember teaching a class, so I teach this year-long course now called Essential Buddhist Teachings. It's an, now an online course here, and it covers the foundations of Buddhist practice, some of which we'll touch on today. And a woman came, she was a nurse, very difficult job. She worked with um, basically sort of homeless psychiatric patients. And um, difficult population, challenging job, very stressful in the East Bay. And um, she came because she was about to get fired because people who worked with her uh, found her very difficult and um, and she was given, she was on notice. And so she came to the course, kind of a last-ditch effort. Sometimes we come here as a last, okay, okay, I'll meditate. Okay, I'll look at myself. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll sit with myself. and uh, Maybe that'll change something. I don't know. I hear it's a good thing. Sounds boring to me, but I'll do it. And, you know, so she came and, you know, probably with a little bit of resistance and, you know, <laughs> Anyhow, so she really took to, took to the practice and the teaching really applied herself. And, and at the end of the 10 weeks, which was the end of the year, she got an end-of-year performance review, um, and it, things totally ch changed around. You know, by the end of the year of practice, people were asking, like, you know, what, what's different? Like, what have you done? Like, you're a different person. You, you, I, I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but probably more grounded or more patient or more relaxed or something. And it was because of you know doing this practice and looking at herself in a very real, honest, humble way, you know. And this practice is humbling in that we look at ourselves, and when we look at ourselves in the mirror internally, it's not necessarily as glamorous as we like to think it is. <laughs> Our petty foibles and reactions and grumbles and spitefulness and niggliness and judgmentalness and all the different ways that we can, you know, not be our best, our best self. So um, this is from a, uh, from a from the Catholic tradition from Archbishop, Archbishop Fenelon, who was a contemplative, and he's talking about light as a, and the, the, the light is a metaphor for awareness. And he says, as the light increases, 
we see ourselves to be worse than we thought. We are amazed at our former blindness as we see issuing forth from the depths of our heart a whole swarm of shameful feelings. This is medieval language here, like filthy reptiles crawling from a hidden cave. I wouldn't go that far, but you know, <laughs> sometimes not so pretty. We never could have believed that we had harbored such things, and we stand aghast as we watch them gradually appear. But we must neither be amazed nor disheartened. We are not worse than we were. On the contrary, we are better. While our faults diminish, the light by which we see them becomes brighter, and we are filled with horror. Bear in mind for your comfort that we only perceive the malady when the cure begins. So this is the humbling part of meditation. We sit down, we turn inside, we, we turn our gaze inwards, <laughs> and we start to look, we start to see. And we start to see the ways that we don't necessarily live up to our values, or our aspirations, or our wishes, or uh, even our, our greater knowing. Yeah? So we get humbled, and you know, we, s we practice, and we look, and we see, and we keep you know, it's like gardening. We keep tending the soil. We keep fertilizing. We keep we keep nurturing the garden. And over time, you know, s you know <laughs> things grow, flowers blossom, uh, practices and, and and ways of being become more robust, more strong, more rooted, and we transform. Yeah. But it's a slow, it's a slow process, as you probably noticed. Uh, we don't change quickly. We see this in relationship when we want our partners to change. Right? Good luck. <laughs> it happens slowly. Okay, okay, we have insights. You know, this is the, the, this practice is called insight meditation, where we have insights that can, can pr pr provide a liberating shift right, and a big transformation. But it usually takes a while to integrate the insight. Right? Maybe we see a way that we're extremely self-centered, right, or self-indulgent or cold, and we see it, and we see it, and we're shocked. Right? To, to, to make that shift from insight to actually integration, that's, that takes time. And let me see all the different ways it manifests, and let me see why it comes into being, why I get so caught in self-centeredness. Oh, and, and maybe that's coming from some idea of self-protection. Right? You know, it just takes a while to unravel those the implications. There's a um, great saying in, in this from the Korean Zen tradition, um, sudden awakening, gradual cultivation. Right? So we have sudden awakenings in our life, and particularly in meditation and uh, in our mindfulness practice. We have sudden insights we, we see through, and, and they could be small or large. We have a breakthrough in understanding a dynamic in our relationship, intimate or otherwise, or our kids or parents. And then it takes a while to gradually cultivate and live in alignment with that. So the basis of insight, so just to give a little context, so, so Spirit Rock is a, is a meditation center in the, in the Theravadan tradition, Theravadan Buddhist tradition, which is the early li lineage, known as the lineage of the elders. And that, as these teachings were brought from Southeast Asia, Burma, Thailand primarily, um, we, it was renamed insight the insight meditation of Vipassana lineage or practice. And the root of that practice is mindfulness, right, where we cultivate clarity, knowing, understanding of our moment-to-moment -moment experience. Where we simply aware of, uh, of what's happening as it's happening. 
Mindfulness is knowing what's happening physically, mentally, emotionally, with clarity, with non-reactivity, with understanding. And we cultivate mindfulness for the purpose, not as an end in itself, although being aware is an important thing. We cultivate mindfulness in this context to develop understanding, to develop insight into ourselves, into life, into what causes suffering and what causes peace, happiness, well-being, kindness, which seem to me, to me, seem to be the only important things in life really worth knowing is how do we free ourselves from our pain? And how do we cultivate the conditions for, for genuine well-being and peace and freedom? Hmm? So that's our task. That's, that's the invitation. And so the, these, the tools that the, the Buddha laid down over the years you know, were a basic series of practices and, and methodologies and perspectives to understand the human condition and to find ways to find peace in the midst of it. And we always have to be in the midst of our experience. And often our experience is not so great to be in. Yeah, we've heard physical pain, emotional pain, pain of parenting, the pain of aging, the pain of, I was driving to Mountain View every day, and the pain of being stuck in traffic and having a two-hour commute each way. Yeah, not that painful, but, you know, unpleasant. So we're cultivating awareness, and I'm going to re keep reiterating this idea. We, we're cultivating awareness to understand, to know immediately, directly, what's true. Not what we think, not what we like, not, we th not what we want to have happen, but what's here? What is happening right now? And we cultivate mindful awareness that supports insight. We cultivate that awareness because without awareness, without being here in the present moment, we're not going to be very aware. And as you might know, we're not present that much. Those of you who meditate, you know, you notice how hard it is to sustain attention. Yeah, we'll, we'll play with that in a minute. Harvard Medical School did a survey or did a, some research, and I don't know how accurate it was really, but the, 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 the conclusions from, the, from you know, studying you know, thousands of people was that we were not present 46.9% of the day. That's a lot of the day. That's half the day. So if you spend a third of your day sleeping, in sleep, sleep, and then a half of the waking hours not present, then you're only present a third of your day, which means by the time you're 60, you've only been present for 20 years of it. <laughs> That's kind of sad. No matter how, no, no matter no wonder why time flies. Because <laughs> we're not here for it. We're, we're in la-la land. We're thinking, we're planning, we're spaced out. We're you know, fantasizing. Who knows where we go? All kinds of places. So the first training is, is to learn how to arrive, to be here, to be present, to establish awareness, as the Buddha said, in front of us, in this moment, and this moment, and this moment to invite our attention over and over here. What's here? What's this experience? So the good news with mindfulness practice 
is that awareness that we're cultivating through mindfulness is the nature of our mind. Awareness doesn't switch off. Our attention can go offline, but awareness doesn't. That may be an idea right now. That might not be your direct experience. So we'll just do a little exercise to play with that. So we'll do this, this practice for one minute. Don't need, don't need to change your posture. I'm going to ask you to not be mindful for one minute, to not be aware, to not notice anything for the next minute. Okay, off you go. Don't make any effort. a bell, in case you weren't being aware. <laughs> Did anybody not hear the bell? <laughs> right? Trying not to be aware, experience happens and is known. Right? Did anybody not know that was a bell? <laughs> right? Awareness happens by itself. That knowing, that recognition, which is part of the essence of awareness, happens by itself which is amazing in itself, and that's a whole other talk and, and reflection. Right. What did you notice in that not noticing? Anyone like to say? Not possible. Right. Not possible. Because uh, you were more aware. How many people felt more like really aware? <laughs> right. This is probably the most aware you'll be all day. Because <laughs> actually what happens when you, when you do that as opposed to how you might normally meditate, is, is you actually relax. Right? I tell you not to do anything. No, okay. I'll just relax. And you notice in that relaxation, oh, there's a lot of things I'm noticing. You might notice your body. You might notice the sound. You might notice the air. You might notice visual field. You notice your thoughts. Notice trying not to be aware. Oh, that's like sounds like mindfulness to me. <laughs> right? This is the good news. The good news is awareness is here. It's ever present. And if mindfulness is the cultivation of awareness, then this is good. And also, what's the problem? Why is it that we seem to be not aware? Why does Harvard's research say we're not present 46.9% of the day? If we just relax and we're aware. Because we get distracted, right. Right. Try to think, right. <laughs> so so, the, so if, if we're always aware, the next qu important question is, then what are we aware of? What are we paying attention to? Right? That's the key question. Right? We're always aware of something. We may not be, and, and where mindfulness is, is slightly different is with mindfulness, we're consciously knowing that we're knowing. 
We're consciously aware of what we're knowing. Right? Homo sapiens sapien, twice knowing one. We're aware that we're aware. It's very, very interesting that that frame, that classification of us as a species, the twice knowing ones, aware that we're aware, is actually very the essence of mindfulness. Consciously knowing what's happening. So we're aware, you know, we're aware a lot. Like when you drive, you're aware a lot. Otherwise, you'd crash. But we're not necessarily consciously knowing because we're on autopilot, and we do so many things on autopilot. Right? Our body walks. We can eat. We can drive. We can do a lot of things on autopilot. So our attention leaves the physical present and goes somewhere else. <laughs> to the coconut. <laughs> to the, the thought machine. <coughs> or just spaces out. One or two. So <coughs> you can think of mindfulness as the conscious directing of attention. Or the con not, not just the, not the directing. It's, it's the conscious <coughs> turning of the attention to know what's happening as it's happening. So, you know, we'll sit in a minute, and, and when we sit, you know, the well, first thing we'll do is be aware of our bodies. Right? And this last 30 minutes, if you listen to a talk, you might not have noticed your body one single moment. And then when I say, be aware of your body, suddenly that we direct our attention to the body, and we start knowing the conditions of the body. Oh, a little achiness in the back, tight knees, a little tired, a little achiness in the eyes. This is my, what's what, what I'm noticing? We're consciously knowing the body as it is in this moment. <coughs> so that's what we're doing with mindfulness, is we're, we're becoming aware of what we're aware of, of what's being, what's being known. So if I say, like right now, you know, what are you aware of? What do you notice? You might notice sounds that you weren't present to, background sounds, or AC, your body, your thoughts, your heart. So it's, it's almost as if we're bringing it into the... F we're not bringing it, but we're it's becoming... shifting from background to foreground. We're heightening that knowing quality of awareness. Right? Is this making sense? You following me? Sure. <laughs> okay. So... That's the easy part. Talking about it is really easy. The, the challenge is, 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 is mm, cultivating and maintaining that moment by moment <coughs> because of the habits that we've generated to think, to plan, to space out, to distract, to worry. Right? So...
and with mindfulness we become more awake, we become more aware, we become more present, which is a beautiful thing because life happens in the present, beauty happens in the present, nature is in the present, love is in the present, children are in the present. As they say in Vegas, you have to be present to win. You have to be present for life to enjoy it, to be here and, and see its wonder and beauty and mystery and challenge. So, so it's a great gift that you give to yourselves to cultivate this practice because you start waking up. And there's many beautiful things in this life to wake up to, like this beautiful land that we're in. So the first tra part of the training in, in mindfulness meditation is a training. Not necessarily how it's built in the, you know, you see Time magazine and some beatific woman is just, mm. it's built as kind of blissing out. Right? It's not built as a training, right? It's a training, it's a mind training. Right? We're training our minds to do various things, to be aware, to be present, to know, to understand, to let go of reactivity. Right? That's a training. It's not necessarily second nature. So the first training in meditation, and then what we'll do this morning, the first practice, is we're training, we're, we'll be gathering and centering and unifying our attention. Our attention, for the mo most part, is very scattered. What one sociologist called, called it, we live in constant partial attention. Our attention is partial because it's divided. Right? We're driving and we're listening to the radio. <laughs> we're on the phone and we're cooking dinner. We're checking our email, but we're watching TV. Right? We're at work and a meeting and, and, we're, and we're texting. Right? It's just we're, our attention is constantly divided, right? which leads us to feel scattered and unfocused. The, the human human being's attention now, the average, at least I think it's in North America, I'm sure it's universal, um, our ability to, to, to focus is now less than the goldfish. <laughs> so we used to have an attention span of 12 seconds 20 years ago. Now it's 8 seconds. And a goldfish's focus attention span is 9 seconds. <laughs> I don't know how they figured that one out, but... <laughs> <laughs> Probably waving some food. <laughs> so, uh, basically, you know, our, our, as we know, our attention is diminishing because of speed and technology and devices and scattered attention. Right? I see that. I see that in myself. I see how technology erodes my attention span because we're suffering every few seconds, flickering, you know, tweeting. If a, if a page loads slowly, right, like, you know, a little we have this thing now, this new diagnosis in psychology, it's called slow rage. <laughs> we get mad because it's, it's like taking two seconds and then you know, or your printer pauses. Oh, why is it pausing? It's got mind of its own. It knows how to bug me. Um, and we get mad. We can get mad. Frustrated, irritated, right? tense. So we've lost that ability to actually just you know, 
stay, have a more steady, patient, focused attention. So in, in the tradition, it's called samatha, samadhi, where we focus, gather, unify the attention to one thing. So this first practice, we'll, we'll, we'll just simply attend to the breath, the most basic, fundamental, primary place to focus. Right? Most, most meditative traditions use the breath as a way to focus. Right? What's the reason for that? It's neutral, it's moving, it's, it's tangible. And it's a reference point, because when we're not with the breath, we know we're not with the breath. So, so throughout the day, we'll do a series of sitting, walking, and other kinds of meditation practices, just exploring both mindfulness and insight. And are there any questions before we go on? Bathroom? No. Ah, yes. So there are a few um, mats and cushions. If you do like to sit on the floor, you could. There's a little teeny, little bit tight for space here, but a little bit of room at the front. You can sit on the mat there by the door. There's the side. You could sit in the. You could sit in the middle here. Um, just kind of. And there's there's one empty cushion here. And how about we all stand? Because we've been you've been sitting for a while. So let's just stand and stretch, and then we'll we'll uh, move into a meditation. Uh, posture and so if there's a volunteer we need more um, meditation cushions so if you could bring about 10 would be great and there's a couple of blankets up here how's the temperature in here good okay Ready, you can sit back down. You want to grab a shot? <laughs> you know, yeah, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. So there's more um, uh, meditation cushions. We call them zafus. Um, Sometimes it's nice to have them under your feet if your feet don't touch the, the ground on the chair. Um, sometimes nice as back supports in the chair so you sit a little more upright. Or if you want to sit on the floor, you can kneel on them, you can cross your legs. My sense is we need a few more because there's people down here at the front. So if you can, if you can grab another half a dozen, it would be fantastic. Thank you. So just a few words about posture. So we'll be sitting 
in today, mostly 20, 30 minutes. Um, so it's important to find a posture you can sit comfortably in and I ideally relatively still. Um, so you want to find a posture you don't have to adjust halfway through because the, the more still the body, the more still the mind. So um, if you're sitting on a chair, you know, try not to lean too much in the back of the chair, try not to slouch. So there's the more upright we sit, the more wakeful and energizing it is. That's um, why we don't have lazy boy chairs in here. Or chairs that aren't that comfortable. They're sort of comfortable, but not that much. And if you're sitting on the floor, ideally you're, you have a, f a stable base. So your, your legs, your knees, you know, um, your ankles, and your backside formed like this triangle. Um, ideally the, the knees are touching the ground or they're supported by um, uh, cushions or blankets. Um, some of you are sitting against the wall. That's fine. A way to support your back. So, I invite you to close your eyes, or if that's not comfortable, just have the eyes gazed downwards. And then bring your awareness to your body. Notice your posture, share some principles, grounding, feel the sense of groundedness in your body. So feel your feet, your legs, your sit bones, even the lower half of your body sitting, grounded. And feeling that lower half of the body, like feel the, the contact, legs, sensations, your feet, sit bones, mindfulness of body, sitting upright, so the spine is upright, the crown of the head is lifting to the sky, skin, chin slightly touched in, tucked in. Chest open, heart open, and then relax into the posture. So there's some ease, noticing if there's any tension in the belly. Let the belly be soft. Eye muscles soft. Shoulders be heavy. Release the jaw. Mindfulness of body. Have the hands on the legs or in the lap. Stay rested. Simple awareness of the body sitting, feeling, sensing the body from within. Noticing what's here. What's the quality of the body? Relaxed, tired, tense, achy, painful, stable. 
still. Mindfulness is a non-interfering awareness, simply noticing what's here. Becoming aware of the breath, just movement of life, breath, breathing itself. Organic life doing its thing. Right? So in this practice, we don't interfere with the breath, don't change or manipulate it. Simply observe and feel each in-breath each out breath. Being curious about this experience, where do you feel the breath most intimately? The nostrils, the cool air entering, warm air leaving, tickle in the throat, tension lifting of the rib cage falling, the movement of the diaphragm in and out. Let your attention settle where you feel the breath most clearly. And permeating breath with awareness, feeling all the nuances, changing sensations, the in-breath, out-breath, all of the pause between breaths, in the meantime, releasing your attention elsewhere, even though of course the attention will go at times to sounds or thoughts, pouring awareness to the breath. Curious, connecting intimately with the sensations of the inhale, the exhale, the pause.
Noticing when the attention wanders into thought, memories, plans, spacing out. Without judgment, simply acknowledging, pivoting awareness back to sensing and feeling. Inhale, exhale. Noticing the quality of the breath, long or short, tense or relaxed, deep or shallow. the beginning of an in-breath, sustaining the attention for that in-breath. Notice the beginning of an out-breath, sustaining the attention just for that half-breath.
you notice your attention is particularly distracted, your mind wandering a lot, you might use labeling as a support. Breathing in on the inhale, out on the exhale. Counting one on the inhale to exhale up to ten. And if your attention wanders before ten, you start again at one. Keeping your awareness primarily on the physical sensory experience in the note or the number, like a whisper.
as your attention in this moment. If not here, then where does it go? Without judgment, resuming awareness of breath over and over, this moment, this body, this inhale, this exhale.
last few minutes of the sitting. Little how far the attention may have wandered. Just only a moment to resume awareness here. Mindful of sitting, mindful of breathing. of other phenomena, thoughts, feelings, sounds. Like centering the attention over and over to immersing in breath. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>
is a poem from Billy Collins, ex-poet laureate, uh, called In the Moment. And it's a very Billy Collins-esque poem. And he says, um, it was a day in, s in June or lawn and sky, and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment. But which moment? Not this one, or that one, or any of those that were scuttling by didn't seem perfectly right for me. And besides, I was too knotted up with questions about the past and his tall, evasive sister, the future. And besides, what were we going to serve the vegetarian twins who were coming for dinner that evening? <laughs> and why was the driver of that pickup truck hurtling down towards the lone railroad track? And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. <coughs> All I wanted to be was a pea of being inside the green part of time, but that was not going to happen today, I had to admit to myself. <laughs> yeah, so thousands of moments squandered with pointless interrogation and whatever else we do with our attention and our mind and it's just what we do. It's how we how we are as, as human beings with these m minds that aren't in our control and thoughts that aren't in our control. But that's why we practice. Right? This is a training. So any um, comments about, uh, questions about your practice? And then we'll shift to doing some walking practice. Yes? you hear the question at the back? It's about rocking, sort of. So, so basically, um, rocking is you know, slight movements happening. Do I let it? Do I let the body move, rock, or do I bring it back to stillness? My take on that is, if it's happening by itself, no big deal. If you kind of usually what happens is we, we might notice a little, very subtle movement, and then it kind of feels nice, like a little soothing. So you're like, oh, that's nice. I'll do that because that's more fun than watching the breath. I'm not saying you're doing that. But there's a little w when it becomes involuntary to voluntary, then then come back to stillness. If it's happening by itself, it's just the body doing its thing. Right? Sometimes our body shakes or a little, you know, something. It's fine. But the idea is, we're not that there's anything wrong with it. But we're learning how to be just with what is, rather than trying to change or create an experience, right? Which is easier said than done. Just like the breath, right? However, the breath is. Sometimes the breath is tense and relaxed. Anybody controlling the breath? We often we control the breath, and we prefer it not to be controlled because it's nicer when it's just doing its thing. But sometimes we get tense and we control it for whatever reason. And if we can let go, let go. If you if if it stays tense, you just be mindful of the breath. Tense, not a big deal. We have a preference. Yeah. Questions, observations? Yes, at the back. Yes. So anxiety and panic, yeah. Right, good. So you know what to do, yeah. So 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 we we tend to say that 
for at least 10% of the population, breath practice is not good. Uh, for whatever reason, too much tension, too much anxiety, or whatever associated asthma, cold. You know, there's a lot of reasons why breath isn't, isn't a great, you know. It's sort of considered like the sort of foundation for most, but you know, nothing works for everybody. That's why the Buddha and every other teacher has a whole variety of practices, right? So, um, so let it go. Be, aware, be more of the aware of the body. Be aware of sound. And when the next meditation will be much more generalized awareness, so it'll be much easier to you know, follow on the instructions. So, um, yeah, so, you know, you may notice that, like in the next meditation, you may notice the breath from the periphery, right? Sometimes we kind of jump on the breath, and that creates a certain kind of tension, right? But if you, like, if you really wear sounds, so it's more spacious, wear the whole body. And then you, then you just, from the corner of your eye, you're noticing, eh, you inhale, you exhale. But again, it you sounds like you know how to take care of that. You shift your attention to some other object or practice. But I, I, I encourage you to find other ways you can stay present, just not with the breath. Yeah. So with spacing out, we're not aware, right? So, so awareness, the challenge is awareness, can f can be awareness is spacious. Right? There's a spaciousness to awareness. Like when I say be aware of sound, right? we have kind of like this space in which sound comes and goes, right? which very easily leads to spacing out where we lose awareness and we're just kind of dull, actually. Yeah, or just not here. Sometimes who knows where we go when we space out. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's autopilot is one. Yeah. 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 Did you have a hand at the back? Did you? Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and, to, and to be and to know what you're knowing, to know what you're experiencing. When we're spaced out, we don't know, we're just not present, right? And then, and then we some, some, somehow awareness or that knowing reestablishes itself and we go, oh, wow, I think I was really spaced out. I don't know because I was spaced out, but I th I'm now I'm back. Right? It's a very mysterious thing the way we seemingly go in and out of present moment awareness. Does it get less the chatter? Can do. I think um, I think my mind is generally much quieter, with because I don't because I've practiced long enough, not paying attention to thoughts, not being interested in the thoughts, not caring about the thoughts, and um, being more interested in being present moment awareness. So I think over time, the thoughts can diminish quite significantly. And you know, brains think. You know, that's what they do. They think. 
you know, anywhere, you know, the research has varied, but 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day, it's almost one a second, right? So it's a lot of thoughts. So there's always going to be thinking, you know, not always, most of the time there will be thinking in meditation. And we're just learning to have a either disinterested relationship to it, or when we get absorbed, we come back. Right? And sometimes we can be mindful of thinking and not get lost, but we usually get lost in the, in the, in the thought train. What do you, what do you, so you're obviously wanting something to happen if you're impatient because that's not happening. What are you wanting to have happen? Oh, <laughs> right. So impatience with the bell. <laughs> right. So a few things. I mean, mostly you just notice, you just notice, oh, impatience. Oh, okay. What, what, and then you get curious about impatience and boredom. Boredom is actually a really fun thing to explore. See, so that thought comes out, oh, this is a boring breath. Bring that in, and in, 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 boring, boring. Okay, what is boring? So you bring your attention to wh what's my, exp how, do I, how do I know that I'm bored? Like, what, what, what are the experience of being bored? Is it, you know, how's my body feel? How, what's m happening in my mind? Do I feel flat? Is the breath boring or am I bored? Is, you know, I was interested in the breath at the beginning, but now I'm finding it boring, so what changed? So, so you bring curiosity. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> you like that? Oh, anything but the breath. Well, the next pra <laughs> the next practice will be much more generalized awareness, where you will bring attention to a lot of different things. You know, so the breath is only one. You know, I, I think it was the foundation, but it's only one piece of the pie. And then with impatience, the same thing. Notice, imp oh, impatience. What does that feel like? Oh, it's kind of tense. It's kind of tight. There's some idea that something's going to happen, and if that happens, it will be better, so I want this to be over. And, and so just understand, you know, impatience, because it's not the only place that you're impatient, right? Not the only place you're bored. So you want to understand, oh, if I, can if I can be okay with being bored in meditation, which happens a lot, because, you know, it's not, not much going on, breath is pretty similar, then maybe I can be okay being bored when I'm at work, or being bored, you know, just with myself. Which is, you know, because we run, as a culture, we run from boredom. It's, it's like a national sin to be bored. <laughs> you should be stimulated. <laughs> you should be having fun. You should be doing something, right? But it's, you know, ha boredom happens as part of life. But boredom is in the eye of the beholder. Right? The, the thing that we're bored with is not inherent to it. It's just our perception of it becomes boring. We become bored with it. So then we, we get curious what changed if it went from not boring to boring? thing to explore. Yeah. How about by being in Sahara? Right. So definitely, um, you know, different traditions do different things. You know, like in Zen, more sit with your eyes open. In the Tibetan tradition, more eyes open. In this tradition, more eyes closed. And there's pros and cons. Eyes closed, you get more awareness of your internal landscape. And because our eyes are such a strong sense that when we open our eyes, that tends to diminish all the other ones, including sound. 
So, but if, you know, often we close our eyes and then the movie theater comes on, you know, projector, you know, just our life, you know. And so if, if it's really distracting, then ha have your eyes open, but not look out the window, just look down. Look down, something very plain is, is helpful. Like in Zen, they look at a plain wall. Um, and so you're not actually looking, you're just, your eyes are open, so you're, you're, you're present to being in the room, but your attention is still mostly inward. Does that make sense? Why would you want to get the physical? Uh, what, what do you mean? You mean physical, as in, as in doing something? Yeah, because I just feel like I'm focusing on my muscles, my bones. Uh huh. Because that's where it works. So w what else? What else is breath other than physical movement? Physical muscular movement. I'm still not. I'm not. Cl so are you? Are you? Are you, are you? Are you aware of that, or are you doing that? To to what? Because it make it more interesting, or right? No, but but uh, the, all this subtle awareness of the intercostal muscle. Are you manipulating that, or are you just noticing all the subtle movements? Yeah, I move the diaphragm and the vocal cords. Uh huh. Right. So stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but uh, so, my question is: it? But what if you just let it do its thing? It's th all those things are still happening, right? They're just not. Then you're not calling the shots. But so, what's the intention? Because you're because you're bored? Because you're curious? Because you're. Right. Right. So, what if you notice that and then don't do that and just notice the breath as it is? I mean, all those things are still happening, right? Intercostals and breath and. So when you said, "What if I do the two breath?" That's the breath. That's not that breath. Right, but you don't have to do it to to see how that's happening. Play with. It. I mean, play with that. I mean, see if you can just. I mean, ideally, you're you're being breathed. Right? You just let the breath. I mean, you don't have to right now. You you don't have to force yourself to breathe, right? It's just happening. Right. Right. So, right. so when you pay attention to it, the control comes in. Yeah. Right. So so then you so that's your edge, right? Can I can I can I allow my breath to be as it is and pay attention? And and sometimes you have to let the breath go and listen to sounds, be aware of your whole body. Um, often we control the breath most at the in breath. That's the time we go, okay, time to breathe in. And so one thing you can do is you breathe in, you breathe out, and then you shift your attention, like, say, to your feet, to a contact point, feet, buttocks, hands. Breathe in, breathe out, touch. It's a touch point. Breathe in, breathe out, touching. And then you let the in-breath come in before, and then, and then by itself, and then you shift attention back to it. Sounds complicated, but it sounds... Yeah, yeah okay, good. Let's know, let us know how you get on. <laughs> yes, at the back. Right. Yes, I imagine. 
stupid, right? Right. Yep. Right. 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 Yeah, so Right. Right. So the converse to the judgment is celebrating the fact that you woke up from being lost in thought. Right? That that's the opposite. You know, judge yourself, oh it's stupid, I just lost lost in thought again. Or oh, how great, I caught myself thinking, now I can come back. How fantastic. Yeah, right, right. You just say, thank you, critic. Just say, thank you. Great, I'm back. Start again. You know, Because it really is to be celebrated that we've seen that we're spaced out, because then we have the opportunity to, to reestablish awareness. Well, awareness has already reestablished itself, but basically we can, we can start again. Right? And meditation, so, and one of the problems is we have this idea that meditation should be a continuity of unbroken attention. Mostly meditation is being present, getting distracted, and coming back. Right? That's the majority of meditation <laughs> practice. Right? So if, if that becomes the baseline, then it's not, you're not doing something wrong that you got distracted. It's just what happens. The practice is returning, and we return millions of times, literally. M you know, of course, I'm, I'm sure I return millions of times because we spaced out a lot. You come back, you come back. So if so. So in that way, you're shifting it from being wrong to, oh, here's another opportunity to return. Thank you, critic. Now I'm back. Returning. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So um, I have a quick concern. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if this would Right, right. So 
important, important with all of this stuff not to make a problem out of it, right? So whether you're controlling or allowing or directing or receiving, ultimately doesn't matter. Right? You're just being present to what's happening. The orientation is where one we're letting go of control, letting go of you know the driving, and actually just see being with and allowing and receiving breath in this case. Right? So that's the orientation, not the should, but the or the orientation of the practice. So just like the instruction I was giving here, um, you know, you you play with ways that you can let go. You play with shifting attention away from the breath if it's controlled. You know, one thing you can play with is, you know, you notice you get distracted, you come back, and then that, that, that thought comes in, okay, breathe in. So you notice you get distracted, come back, and don't breathe in. Just sit. Just don't breathe. The body will breathe in for you quite happily <laughs> at some point, right? And, and in meditation, sometimes our breath gets very subtle and very soft, and we actually, you know, only breathe a few times a minute. And so the mind goes, oh, I've got to breathe. I've got to take a deep in-breath. And we don't. You know, you know, pulse and heart rate and all kinds of things goes down in meditation. So you can actually just sit in the pause, and it can be quite a long pause. And you just, you just wait for the breath to do itself, which might cause a little anxiety. <laughs> but the breath will breathe itself <laughs> eventually. Right? So, so it might take a little just like, okay, do I need to just relax and then but the, you know the, you know again the, the awareness is the awareness is paramount so the that you're s the fact that you're seeing the breath i mean seeing this tendency with the breath right, that's more important than whether it stops or not it will eventually soften and fade over time and i was very controlling my breath the first few years and it just it just sort of fades faded over time so um and then if it gets too if you get too wrapped up in it, shift the attention to sounds to the whole body. So you just let the breath resume its natural rhythm and then you come back to it. Yes. Why do you think we encourage people to sit still? Uh -huh. Right. Yeah, you can. Totally welcome to do that. And, you know, you want to listen to the body. And the that instruction comes from no, a few things. One is um, sometimes if we scratch every itch and adjust every need will just be constantly you know fidgeting and you know and we'll just be con it, it just sort of feeds it can feed on itself so we just never we don't we don't settle and the more settled the body is usually the more subtle the mind becomes not always but so and then we also want to notice where these impulses are coming from so you got an itch itch on your face well you can scratch it it's fine no big deal or you can notice that there's un discomfort and there's unpleasantness and there's a desire to get rid of it. And that can be very insightful. It's like, oh, wha what's it like if I don't 
scratch my face and just sit with it. Oh, it's very unpleasant. It gets burning. It's like it feels like I'm going to die if I don't scratch it. <laughs> and then it kind of passes away. And it's like, wow, that was interesting. It was <laughs> torturous, and now it's peaceful, right? which is a great metaphor for life, right? A lot of things that we, oh, I've got to do this, got to change, got to get rid of that. Stop, stop, stop. Oh, it stopped by itself. Oh, well, that was interesting. I can relax again. So, so you can play with it. You know, there's, n there's no, in this tradition, we don't. There's no rule, right? If you want to scratch, you can scratch. But it's also really interesting to. One of the things we often say is, don't move until the third impulse. So you want to stretch your leg, and you go, oh, I'll just sit with it, and it kind of goes away. It can go away. And it's like, no, let's come back. Yeah, I'll just see if I can sit with it. A little discomfort, a little pain, whatever. And then the third time, it's like, okay, I'll move. But as you say, sometimes not doing that can create more agitation than just doing that and it's done. Right? So sometimes the movement supports the stillness, and sometimes the movement takes us away from... So mm, there's, there's no ultimate rule. Yeah, well, you could be doing either. Um, so, yeah, I tr you know try and have the the counting be very whisper-like, you know, and and more tuned to the to the heartbeat and the breath, and um, try to be less concerned about the the numbering of it. It's interesting to notice that that rhythm. So I would suggest you meditate standing up. <laughs> uh, that sounds uh, like work. <laughs> so, so you break the habit. You break the association. It'll take a while. <laughs> you might even fall asleep standing up. <laughs> In which case, stand behind the chair because you want to. I've seen it happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's a danger. You know, some people meditate before they go to sleep, uh, you know, because it's a very nice thing to do, relaxes the body, and but then the association can become meditation, sleep, and here is a good example. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sudoku. <laughs> um, you know, again, the breath may not be the the best <coughs> focus for you. you know. How long have you been meditating? Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So, 
generally it takes a I might say it takes a little while to um, to um, I'm not sure what the word is really, but to 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 begin to feel into all the subtlety and the nuance of the breath, and you know ultimately it's not about the breath, it's about being you know being aware, being present, and the breath is for most people a supportive place to focus on because it changes, it moves, it's always there, and um, it's a reference point for our attention. Right? So. Um, Part of the challenge is is learning how to, you know, I think what one of the things we struggle with is because we live in such a stimulated culture, you know, media, screens, busyness. When we come to the breath, it's like, oh, kind of boring, <laughs> not much happening. And so, uh, so we kind of go to sleep a little bit. We we kind of space out because there's just not enough to grab our attention, right? If we had a tiger pacing back and forth here, and I, and I said to you, that's your meditation practice, focus on the tiger, right? You'd be pretty present, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's stimulating, right? The breath is, is subtle in its stimulation level. So the, so the awareness has to get as subtle as the breath, right? So we'll do some walking practice in a minute where we're paying attention to our physical movement which for a lot of people is easier because there's more going on. There's m it's more tangible. There's contact. There's moving the legs and footsteps. And so, um, so see, you know, we can revisit this question at the end of the day to see, you know, maybe that you need to have more to focus on other than the breath in the beginning, just so you can have enough to actually ground your attention. So maybe check back in at the end of the day. A couple more questions, then we're going to take a walk. Yes. Uh, yeah, mantra is another way, like the breath, of holding the attention. But if we just if we just did half an hour of mantra practice as opposed to half an hour of breath practice, which we just did, I'd have the same questions. Well, the mantra is not that interesting. It's hard to hold my attention. Can I focus on someone else? You know, it's you know. Whatever we gave, whatever object, it would we'd have the similar tendencies, right? But yeah, a no, mantra, just like the counting and the the naming in out, is a support. It takes up a little mental energy that otherwise would be chattering. Yeah. So both concentration practices. Yeah. You become hyper focused on emotions as emotions you. Emotions are fascinating. Uh huh. So, um, so I'll I'll speak to that in the next sitting, um, where we include different facets of our experience, including emotion. Um, the trick is to feel with emotion. The where the instruction is to feel it in the body without getting lost in analysis and thinking about it. So you shift from the thinking to the feeling, visceral nature of it.
Yeah, I would go with small and build. Yeah, start start with what start with what's workable rather than zoning out for half an hour. Better to stay focused for five or ten, and then as and then you know just like with any muscle, we we develop capacity and tolerance. Then you increase the length of time where thirty minutes becomes fine. Right? Yeah, because I know I, I'm aware for many of you thirty minutes that we just did it was a long time. It's just like a lot of times of spacing out. It's okay, you know. But but, but in your home practice, do do practice for the time that feels valuable. You know, which for many of you might be short, might be t five or ten minutes. As you get familiar with that, it will most likely grow. That the, the you'll you'll find out oh, after after a little while, ten minutes is no big deal, and you do fifteen and keep extending. I like to suggest half an hour is a good. You know, length of time for for daily sitting. You know, if you can build up to that. Okay, great questions. <laughs> so, um, want to shift gears to do some walking practice, and we, and we can incorporate um, bathroom break in that. So I'm going to have you all stand, give you some instructions, and then let you go. And just be mindful of standing for a moment. So just be aware of your body standing on the ground. Feel your feet. Have your eyes down or closed. And with walking, often the, the, ob the, the, the home base or the anchor for the attention is in the feet. So feel the soles of your feet contacting the ground. legs, feel how they move by themselves, tensing, relaxing, releasing, swaying. And just notice your energy as you stand, maybe a little more energy, a little more breath perhaps, a little more wakeful. Aware of the sounds around you, aware of the space around you. Of your clothing touching the skin. There's a lot of things to be aware of as we stand. And you can open your eyes. And so, so when we walk, there's a combination of standing and walking. So, w in in this practice, how we walk is we find us somewhere to walk. You can walk outside in the patio here, in the hallway, or in the, there's a walk. There's another room across the hallway. Um, and there's lots of spaces outside and the, the, the patio in front or on the road. And find a place where you can walk up and down. I like to walk probably about the length of the, the width of this room, you know, about 30 steps. And I just you just walk up and down slowly, mindfully, or not slowly, but you walk at whatever pace supports you being present. For some of you, that might be normal pace. Some of you, that might be a little slower. Some of you might like to walk very slowly. And the idea is you're simply being present to your physical body walking, right? Normally when we walk, where is our attention? Huh? Head and destination. Where are we going? Next meeting, shopping, whatever. So with the reason we walk up and down and not go for a hike is, is because we want to have you have no destination. You're just walking for walking's sake. 
and your practice, in the same way in the meditation, your practice is to be present, well, in the last sitting, to the breath, your practice is to be present to walking, to just, you know, just as you might be going for a run or a hike in nature, except your attention is purely on how your body moves, walks, arms swing, your legs step, your, li- your foot lifts and moves in places and touches. And where I have my attention mostly when I'm walking is in my feet, particularly as each foot touches the ground. That's like, that's like the breath for me. That's where I mostly am grounding my attention, feeling the feet, feeling the legs move, right? not doing any funky walk, just walking. And then, of course, our attention, what, you know, we might see a beautiful turkey or we might you know, hear a bird screech or we see someone else walking. You know, we think about somebody at home and we notice that and then we come back to the physical walk. And then we space out and we come back. And we start thinking and we come back. And um, like so. Very simple. We're just, uh, we're just taking the, the awareness that we cultivate in the sitting, which is more like the lab, and we learn, how we know, ideally we're learning how to be mindful and present in our life, right? And we, we, we're primarily, primarily in four postures in our life. Sitting, standing, walking, and reclining. We're not going to do that much reclining unless you nap after lunch, which you're welcome to. Um, and then moving about. So if we can learn to be present, and I, I've done this practice for a long time now, and I really, of one of the most tangible benefits I've experienced from doing this practice a lot is from the walking. Because, you know, we walk a lot, home, at work, in nature, in town, and every time I walk, I feel like I can reconnect with my mindfulness practice from all the years I've done mindful walking. Like I can always feel a sense of groundedness and embodiment and connection to myself, which means I'm in the present, which means I'm more resourced and more available. So it's a great practice for training to stay grounded in life or work. But it takes practice. So any questions about that? We'll walk for about half an hour, ring a bell, and then (coughs) we'll have you come back. We'll sit before lunch. Yes? Eyes generally, um, just let them sort of gaze naturally downwards, you know, like, you know, I don't know, six, ten feet ahead. Just so, so you're not, you know, you're not just taking a walk and looking at all the beautiful nature, which there is, and you can do that at lunchtime. But you're just, you're, you're, your eyes are open, but your gaze is kind of inward. Your gaze is really like being curious what's happening here rather than, you know, what everyone else is doing. Right? And if you haven't done this before in the group, it can look a little weird because everyone's walking slowly. It looks a little like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> and that's okay. Just the, the inner experience is very different than how it looks. It can look a little somber and dour. We're not about being dour. It's about being mindful. But when, when, when we're practicing, it's not, you know, we're not chatting and being social. We, we're very dropped in. So it looks can look a little strange. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, ideally, but you pr- you might ideally. So, like in this patio outside, um, you want to walk um, not lengthways, but widthways. So, so many people can walk on the patio, right? And then if the, you can't find somewhere, just go out on the road, and you'll find a little spot somewhere. There's plenty of room here. Yeah. So, and then uh, we'll ring a bell at um, 11:45, and we'll come back in um, for some more. 
practice. And um, obviously feel you free to use the bathroom if you need to. And I will stay in here if any of you have questions, because I know I didn't get time to get speak to everybody. I can stay behind for a little bit to answer questions. Okay, thanks. Actually, let's have the bell ring at 11.50. Please uh, keep in silence, um, so we just stay dropped into ourselves uh, and our practice. Thanks.
Are there any comments, questions from the walk-in? Yes. Actually, can, can you hear the back? Do we, do we need a mic? Let's get a mic. Can we, um, okay. Thank you. Um, I noticed so much. It was really, uh, it was a real joy to witness. Um, the love that I would feel and the ease and the grace when I would really bring my attention totally to the base of my foot and really just be there. I noticed a lot of anxiety when I went upstairs and I was anywhere else. I would just notice a quickening and um, anxiety mm -hmm. um, in the nervousness around doing. Like I would just really quickly go into like thinking about my life and what I should be doing with my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the contrast. And, and it was amazing, yeah, to just come back and to be like, that's not now. Mm. Like, right now is this. And to just pour my love into my foot, I just was like, wow. Like it just felt so different. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. felt um, like freedom mm -hmm. to just be with the foot. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, beautiful. Anybody else notice that, the difference between when you're in the present moment? Right? Most of the time when we're very present, especially physically, sensorily present, <coughs> most of our problems disappear. Our problems mostly per maintain and perpetuate themselves in our heads. Our worries, our plans, our deficiencies, our regrets, mostly in our head. When we're actually physically present and we're taking one step, one breath, <laughs> one moment of listening, smelling a flower, like the problems of the world disappear for a moment. Unless we bring them back and go, yes, that's great, but what about my bank balance? Oh my God, how am I going to pay <laughs> the mortgage this year? And boom, it's gone. And then we come back. We so you know, hummingbird crosses up path. <gasps> wow, beautiful. Oh, it's all okay. <laughs> it's a sign. And then, but what about my work project? And on it goes. And it never occurred to me to walk backwards or sideways. And I think I've been trying to do this like a certain way, the right mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. I'm having this experience to like, maybe there's other ways. <laughs> maybe there's, I don't know if it's playful or rebellious. I'm not sure. But I'm mm -hmm. trying to do it. But it just occurred to me today to walk in mm -hmm. a different way. And I felt very kind of alive and joyful. Mm -hmm. And often when I've come and s sat, it's been hard. And I've been kind of like not looking forward to it because mm -hmm. it's hard. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not sure where I am in this process, but I mm -hmm. just feel like this newfound kind of like... That sounds creative. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, good to explore. You know, some people do walking up and down stairs as the walking practice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter, actually. Breath, walk. M ultimately, the what you're paying attention to is less important than the fact that you're paying attention.
And so all these things are supports, they're training wheels. Yes. So I realize how much walking helps me to think. Mm -hmm. You know, taking walks, right. trying to sort of... Yes, that's what we do, traditionally, <laughs> yeah, pace and... yeah. Which wasn't helpful right. just now, obviously. <laughs> um, but there's a lot going on. Like if I... Is it meant to be sort of open awareness as well? Because I was looking mm -hmm. at the pebbles on the ground and, you know, noticing sounds. Mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it is more open, you know, because just by nature, you know, and we have to be somewhat open, otherwise we'll trip over. Yeah. So, yeah, just to some degree. You know, and, and we can still stay. The trick is how to be open and stay somewhat grounded here in the body. That's the balance. Can I just ask as well, because I want to do this with my class of 13 to 14-year-olds. Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice? Should I alter it somehow? The walking or the sitting? The walking. Um, well, they're just going to burst out laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and be very self-conscious. Yeah. So um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it personally. Okay. Unless they were really into learning about mindfulness. Well, we've done sitting. Okay. And so I thought the next step would be mindful walking, but okay. you're right, it might get out of hand. It m or just look too weird. I mean, it's all, it's all about appearance and, you yes. know, that age. It's a little, it's very self-conscious age. Okay. So, you know, maybe a mindful hike. Great. You know, something that's normal looking. Right? Anything that's abnormal, it's just, yeah. they just think, oh, that's weird. That's, you know, that's those hippie weird stuff, yeah. you know. Um, With the destination, maybe. Yeah, or... or um, Standing actually is, is is a better one to, to switch oh, okay. to. Yeah. So you you see so in whatever you're doing in the classroom, you sit, and okay, we're going to stand for five minutes, mm -hmm. and you do a little body scan, so you just guide their attention through the body. Much better transition. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah. And then like you know like I was at Google yesterday, and um, so I didn't have time for mindful walking, but we had it was a break, and the the. the cafeteria was, you know, five-minute walk away. So I said, okay, we're going to integrate the walking practice into, you know, your tea break. Mm -hmm. So just walk with as much mindful presence as you go to the cafe. You know, not needing to walk any differently, just bring attention to your body. So no one needs to be self-conscious. No one needs to know you're doing anything. So it could be that, you know, so between your class and the next class, you know. Or okay. Yeah. Okay, Thank good. You. Good luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> Where do you teach? Um, in Nor Ali uh -huh. High School. All right, great, great. Well, that's Mill Valley. They'll probably think, oh, yeah, I know. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom and dad do this, right? <laughs> right. So there's hands at the back, yes, in gray. Yeah, yeah we're going to just, just, we're going to pass it over. Yeah, thanks. Um, my, my left foot was my ally in slowing down everything to uh -huh. hardly any walking. I have a very inflamed, um, acting out tendon mm. that comes from my foot mm -hmm. and I'm in rehab for it. Mm -hmm. Um, what this did was I was in pain the whole time. Okay. Mm. And but I didn't go away from the pain mm -hmm. and was focusing on the sensation of the pain and the way my body was moving left to right mm -hmm. and it's sometimes limping 
to take the weight off of my back foot. But at some times, it, the sensation sort of diminished, and I was walking more evenly. Mm -hmm. um, probably as much walking as I've done in a month, uh -huh. just that little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's very, I didn't love it. I couldn't say I was right. bringing love to my foot, which would have been a, oh, that would have been a, a nice thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you were being very kinda aware and, 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 and responsive and also very present. Pain gets you present. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nothing like pain to bring you in the present. Uh -huh. yeah. and, then, and then we have to watch what we do with that with a lot of thoughts and planning and strategizing and fixing and all kinds of things right, with the mind. And we have to come keep coming back to what's actually happening. Are there some burning, rubbing, tightness, tingling, searing? I mostly did not go away mm -hmm. from it, mm -hmm. and the only uh, the emotion that might have come up around it would have been is anxiety. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah, natural. And then you notice that relationship between, and the anxiety, probably not from the pain, but from the thought about the pain. The thought that what if it doesn't go away? Yes, what if it gets worse? What if, and who knows? We don't know the answer to that. But we can create a lot of suffering about that which, has, you know, Mark Twain, most of the worst things in my life never actually happened. <laughs> but we spend a lot of time catastrophizing about them. Oh, what if this pain spreads to my other foot? What if it goes to my knee? What if, uh, it's just, it's completely self-created suffering, right? self-created anxiety, right? which we do all the time. And we see it, and we go, oh, I don't need to go that. Can I just be with this pain, this step? And then it actually allows us to relax a little, which allows us to be more resourced with the pain we do have rather than the actually triggered about the pain we don't yet have. <laughs> it's actually, this is all about optimizing, really, our capacity. Yeah. There's some hands up over there next to you. So can you, um, can you also meditate when you're running, when you're cycling, Course. when you're... Yeah, I mean, it depends how you define meditation. So I would say, can you be mindful running, hiking, cycling? Yes, and safer to do that. <laughs> the more mindful you are, the less likely you're going to, you know, you know, you're tracking your, your, you know, especially cycling. I have a lot of friends who've had serious accidents cycling. You know, you lose mindfulness for a moment in cycling, and you, you know, you can die. You know, or you can trip. You know, strain your ankle. You know, so. Um, the more mindful you are, the more it's going to support your whatever physical activity you do. You know, and a lot of athletes talk about being in the zone, which is really, you know, flow state, which is not dissimilar to mindfulness. You're completely present, at one with what's happening physically. So yes, bring in, and and the same instructions, which is you know, be present, notice your body, notice when you space out come back. If you're running in that way, if you're using the practice in that way, then you're really cultivating mindfulness. Right? Are you in your head or are you in your body? Are you breathing? Are you aware of your breath or are you just thinking about destination? Right? We can, we can, most activity is neutral and whether it's supportive of mindfulness or not depends on how we use it. Right? it the whole run can be full of tightness and judgment and exertion and pushing and will and misery. <laughs> Or it could be one of you know real presence and awareness, and sensitivity and nuance, depending on how we do it. Right? So we can be uh, you know mountain climbing super present. If you're not present when you climb, you die. 
And but if we're all, all we're doing is fixated on the top, we could, there's a lot of times we're not present, or we're fixated in fear. So yeah, bring awareness to your to your running. Yeah. Yeah, first. Yeah. I found that I was able to experience my thoughts more when I focused more on where I decided to walk. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge believer in the subconscious. I thought it was interesting where I chose to walk. I chose to walk between a bench and a pole. I thought about like what that like what that symbolized about myself and what I was feeling on the inside. I felt like the pole was like my stability, my place I could lean on. I chose to walk on a level surface. I noticed others chose to walk on a incline or um, on the edge of the grass or like depending on where they wanted to walk. And I thought the bench symbolized that I like enjoy slowing down and taking a rest and just being I just felt that I was able to like go more and think more introspectly looking through that which I kind of thought was counterintuitive because of trying to look inside but I found my way inside by first looking out mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what I felt yeah that's good I just wanted to share those two things that uh, happened to me. One was that I had new ideas uh, at some point, but, but like in a good way, just they came up and like, oh, this is good, but I just keep going on this. Um, so I felt it made me creative in a mm -hmm. way. Yeah, no, definitely when we're present and we're not cluttered up in with a lot of staticky thinking, we got much more space to think and innovate and have insight and and the other thing that I really liked is I was walking, there was a great park and then the gra the green grass. And I started to notice the colors deeper. Mm -hmm. So the contrast, I started to see the gray like purple with the contrast of the green. Mm -hmm. And I started to do that over and over and again. And I just like being mindful about like the bright colors. Mm -hmm. like really cool. Yeah, <laughs> more, more nuance, more subtlety. Yeah. Yeah. That was really intense for me. I, I do med sitting meditation, but I don't usually do running, uh, walking meditation, and I'm a runner as well. I thought it was really interesting what you said about walking sideways or backwards, because when you said, when we went outside, that, you know, go at whatever pace you want to go, right? That left it very open to decide what that pace was. Mm -hmm. And um, I began walking very slowly, and I have a son who has trouble walking. You have what? I have a son uh -huh. who has trouble with walking. Uh-huh. And so we're instructing him sometimes when he's walking so that he doesn't fall. And what I realized was that when you walk really slowly, it's really just your lower body that's moving. It's not your upper body, right? And so I, then I was experimenting on how fast do you have to move when your arms move? Because one of the things that's his problem is he can't move his arms. Mm. Anyway, I had very, very different experiences depending on how fast I was walking. Mm. And the whole experience seemed like about five minutes. I mean, I couldn't believe when you rang the bell. I just got really interested in this idea mm -hmm. that there are so many different ways to be present. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, that when I'm walking fast, it's presence, at least in that moment, it was a presence in a very different way than when I was trying to walk very slowly. Right, right. Yeah, so a lot of subtlety and 
variability and and um, great practice for you as a mom who's you know for your son uh, to tune more into his experience yeah Good. Okay, a few more comments and then we'll uh, pass. I have a question. When you said that you earlier of try and get 30 minutes or work up to 30 minutes of uh, sitting mindfulness, um, are those two, in your opinion, ex interchangeable? Because I found myself more successful um, with the walking, but that doesn't right. mean that I couldn't practice right. sitting more. And yeah, they're interchangeable. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so how many people found the, the walking practice easier to stay focused and present? than the sitting. Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. Okay. How many of you found it easier to s do the sitting than the walking practice? Okay, and then some in between. Yeah, so, you know, the it's, it's useful to have a variety of practices, right? It's this different thing. You know, if you're very, very anxious and agitated, sometimes sit, it's too much to sit with. It's better to do walking. Right? But sometimes the stillness is, is exactly what's needed. Do you recommend cultivating the stillness if it's not naturally occurring? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, do both. Yeah, yeah. There's a hand over here and then a hand at the back. Pass it over. Yeah. Um, I just had a question about, I as well do a lot more sitting meditation. I've only done walking a couple of times and so it felt it was actually kind of fun to do something different, and I mm -hmm. noticed that I felt really out of my comfort zone. Mm. Um, when I'm doing this sitting meditation, I'm very focused on, you know, being present with my breath and focusing and not letting, not sort of following the thoughts that come. And and I tend to notice in my in my sort of normal day-to-day -day life, I'm very analytical and I'm always sort of analyzing myself and other people and situations and. Um, that's part of my job as well to do that. And so with the breathing, I find it nice to take a break from all of that. Mm -hmm. um, when I was doing the walking, I noticed that I was having insights into myself, into the way that I kind of operate. Um, and that was helpful. And I kind of laughed like, oh, this is why it's called insight meditation. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't know, I also felt like my insights were leading me on that path of more analyzing and mm -hmm. <coughs> more thinking, not being present. So. Right. I right. think there's a balance to achieve there, but mm -hmm. do you have any recommendations about, you know, I was sort of thinking maybe when it became judgmental, that would be something to notice in terms of coming back. How do you, when do you kind of know when to sort of go, okay, that's nice. I can maybe think about that later or think about that more at another point, and now I need to get back to focusing on my feet. Right, right. And that's a good, that's a good reflection. Mostly after the first thought is enough. <laughs> you know, Usually what happens is we have an ins we have an aha moment, we have an insight, we see something in a new way, and we go, oh, wow. That's well, if that's true, then what about that? And so-and-so said yesterday that, and then we're gone, and we're gone yeah. for 10 minutes. Okay. So, and the, which is fine, uh, you know, it's fine to reflect and associate and contemplate, <coughs> but in the practice, it just takes us away from what we're doing. And so, you know, and usually the, when we have some kind of insight like that, you know, it, 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 we don't usually forget it. It's sort of logic. It, it's it's just because it's a shift from the norm. Kind of you know. Yeah. So um, so and and the problem with the proliferation of thinking afterwards is it can diminish the potency of the impact of the insight. Because when we have that aha moment, it, there's a moment of like oh, it kind of stops us in our tracks a little bit. 
and we want to let that uh, that being stopped kind of land. Like we want to let it permeate. Like oh wow, I've never seen that. And you just let yourself digest it rather than analyzing and proliferate. You can do that plenty, plenty of time to do that. We'll, we'll do that anyway, and the brain will be doing it be, be unconsciously anyway, associating and making sense of and reorganizing. And so, um, for the most part, you just notice it, and then you kind of you and then see if you can feel how it lands. Like it, it, it usually has a. Sometimes it takes. Sometimes it takes you kind of take takes your breath. Like oh, and you stop breathing for a moment. Oh wow, that's interesting. And then you know, uh, you know, this but then it's helpful to f reflect after the f after the fact, but not during if you can. Right. Thank you. Right. All right, last comment back here in the stripey shirt. Um, so I have a question about um, mindfulness um, and. I guess drift or not not being mindful. So especially around movement. Um, so is there if you are if you practice a lot and you're sort of very mindful, is there a time when you give yourself to drift? So for instance, uh, I'm thinking about I was I was kind of pondering this while we were doing the exercise of um, you know a good example of what I'm what what like a a, a concrete example is uh, like a yoga a yoga class will have movement, you'll be mindful mm -hmm. the entire time. Mm -hmm. You'll be in your breath, doing these activities, and then when you finish, you usually finish in the corpse pose. Mm -hmm. And at, at that point, every time I've ever done a yoga class, my mind completely drifts. Mm -hmm. And it's usually a welcomed experience, so mm -hmm. I'm sort of wondering, is that part of the practice, is actually maybe picking a time when you aren't gonna be mindful? It's gonna happen anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's plenty of times where we just want to chill out, you know, and we don't want to be making an overt, an overt effort to be present. Right? Um, and you know, there, there's some interesting research that shows that 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 sort of wandering, daydreamy state can actually, you know, that, that can also be useful for the brain and, and insightful, um, non-directive time. So over time, the more that you relax into the practice, the more mindfulness doesn't take effort. Just be, it just becomes who you are. It's, it's just, it's hard to switch it off, actually, at certain points. In the beginning, it, it's, it is effortful. And um, you know, there's, a, there's a, I think in this cartoon, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, someone's driving through Nevada, you know, flat road, hundreds of miles, and the sign says, um, you and, you alone with your crazy thoughts next 200 miles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so driving is one of those places we tend to just, you know, just drift a little, and, um, and I think it's fine. Um, you know, people do that in Shavasana and yoga and corpse pose, and um, just we're just we're just shifting the habit from doing that most of the time to doing it purposefully. Right. So. And I, I, I believe Einstein said that he, he would often have you know, some of his biggest ahas when he was sailing. Right? So probably relaxed, chilling out you know, after being in his lab, you know, probably very intensively. And sometimes that relaxed brain is, is very insightful, especially when we've been working on something. And as I said, the brain's always processing. 
So um, sometimes it needs that sp that space to allow something else to arise. In the same way that it can happen in meditation. So um, just the the trick the the key is to be um, conscious, be conscious about. Okay, now I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a hike and I'm just gonna let myself let my mind float because I'm tired and I just want to chill out. Totally fine. Just be conscious that you're doing it. So it's so it's really serving you rather than just a habit that you're strengthening. Okay, so um, I'll just do a little more practice before lunch. So the first practice we were more focusing our attention to one thing, the breath, which for some of you was challenging either because of the breath, control, boredom. Um, and it's only one part of our experience. So we did the walking practice, which is much more multidimensional, right? We experience you know, a lot of different senses at the time, at, at, at once. And you know, in general, we're cultivating mindfulness to be aware in life. Right? In our lives, you know, sometimes we're focused and sometimes we're open. You know, when we're driving, it's very open, you know, both focused and open. When we're walking down San Francisco, downtown, you know, there's a lot of things to be aware of, our body and then you know, traffic and people and buildings and obstacles. And right? So we want to learn how to have both that focus, but also more open, generalized awareness. When you're looking after a bunch of kids, you're running a meeting at work, you're having a dinner party, right? There's this general awareness where you're tracking a lot of different things inwardly and outwardly. So, so we'll start to expand the, the field of what we attend to. And, and in this practice, I'll have us more attend to body, not just breath, but body, sensations, and also whether we experience them pleasant, as pleasant or as unpleasant, in which I'll ref explore more this afternoon wha why we're doing that. So again, sitting comfortably, sitting upright, Grabbing a cushion or a sabaton, these flat mats if you need them. And if we could, uh, if you're sitting by a window and you feel comfortable opening it, a little more fresh air, maybe the ones back here, it'd be nice just to have a little more fresh air coming in, keep us a bit more awake. This is a reading from a great Indian meditation master. He said, let go of what has happened. Let go of what's to come. Let go of what's happening now. Don't try to figure anything out. Don't try to make anything happen. Simply relax and rest in awareness. So a whole variety of experience comes and goes in meditation. And what's key to remember with mindfulness is we're not trying to create a particular experience or state. We're trying to be mindful and present of the state that's that we're in, the state that's happening. Right? We're not trying to create some special, peaceful, happy, focused. We're simply being present to what actually is here, noticing it. It is very ch hard to notice it without wanting to fiddle with it. We're fiddlers. <laughs> Make it better, different, longer, shorter, happier, focus. You know, just can we be present to what's here? 
So as you sit, so finding your posture, just closing your eyes or lowering your gaze. And then just noticing what's present in your body. Notice your posture, feel that connection with the ground. Contact, knees, feet, buttocks, hands. And turn your awareness to the sounds. Aware of the various sounds that come and go external sounds, inner sounds, human sounds. And see if you can be present to hearing without visualizing or thinking about the source of the sound. Just aware of sounds, hearing. may wander or think, come back to sounds, and then re-establishing awareness of the body. And in that awareness of your body, becoming aware of the breath. How is the breath in this moment? Can we bring what's called a beginner's mind Experiencing as if this breath was the first breath you've ever taken. Maybe the breath is different in this practice, in this moment, after walking, having sat, Feel the breath, the impressions in any different place. And as we discussed, if for some of you the breath is not the optimal place, you can stay present to sounds, stay present to the general sensations of the body. and aware of sitting, breathing and aware of breathing, hearing at times and aware of hearing.
can use the breath as the anchor for the attention, simply attending to the sensations as we were earlier, feeling, sensing, and also opening up to noticing when other experience arises like a sound, so in that moment be present to hear. As a strong sensation arises in the body, you can let the awareness move and become aware of that experience. For example, right now, take your attention to the place, the most strongest sensation in your body. Maybe your sit bones, your knees, your ankles, some area of discomfort, pressure. like to simply permeate that area with awareness, feeling it, sensing it. Noticing the experience itself. And more as importantly, noticing your response to that or reaction. If it's uncomfortable, unpleasant, there's often a resistance, a reaction, <coughs> contraction, pushing away. If it's pleasant, you may notice a holding on or a grasping or wanting it to stay around. neutral, you may become disinterested. And you can let this area go and come back to the breath. Or you may notice somewhere else that's calling your attention, an itch, a sense of heat in the body, a tickle in the throat. Maybe as you sit, you're noticing a quality of energy in the body, aliveness, tingling, vibration. I'm curious, the unfolding sensations. body in this moment is like this, the breath is like this, sounds are like this.
unclear where to focus the attention, you can always return to the breath, feeling the ever-changing sensations. Meantime, also being aware of when sounds come and go, other sensations of the body come and go. Imagining the mind, the awareness like a sky, thoughts passing through like clouds. Feed them, get rid of them, simply redirect the attention to the physical present. time to time, feelings and emotions arise. Feel them in the body. Helpful to name them. Sadness, anxiousness, happiness, peace. Noticing how they register in the body, in the belly, in the heart, in the throat, in the hands, in the face.
focus your attention in this moment. And cultivate an intimacy with your moment-to-moment -moment experience. Breath, body, feeling. attention and the fascination with thought and taking close and awareness closer to direct experience couple of minutes of the sitting, letting go of everything that's gone before, simply meeting what's here with kind attention. with a reading from Jan Chosen Bays. In this moment, I vow to choose what is. If there is cost, I choose to pay. If there is need, I choose to give. If there is pain, I choose to feel. If there is sorrow, I choose to grieve. When burning, I choose heat. When calm, I choose peace. When starving, I choose hunger. When happy, I choose joy. Whom I encounter, I choose to meet. What I shoulder, I choose to bear. When it is my death, I choose to die. Where this takes me, I choose to go. Being with what is, I respond to what is. So 
Some of you probably had a few thoughts about lunch <laughs> that time of day. And some of you probably may not have been so present because you needed to eat. That's true of me. I was like, oh, my blood sugar is really low. <laughs> right? our, our mind is very affected by our body, and our awareness is very affected by our body and our mind. Right? Not separate. So um, in speaking of that, um, so I'll uh, it is lunchtime, and um, be mindful how much you eat, because um, the more you eat, the more sleepy you'll probably be in the afternoon. <laughs> so if you want to be wakeful, then just you know be be moderate. Um, so we'll take about an hour and some for for lunch, and um, I'm going to invite you to uh, continue the practice. So the whole day is an opportunity to be aware. There's, there's nothing outside of, of mindfulness. So when you're eating your lunch, your salad or fruit or whatever it is, make that a meditation. Just you know, foods come from somewhere grown by people, and you know, a huge amount of life went into making your sandwich, bakers and pollinating bees and who knows what. So appreciating that, and then and then. Usually, the best thing to help with mindful with mindful eating is slowing down. You know, usually we're shoveling it in, right? We got we're ready to load, right? We're eating it, we're enjoying that pleasant taste, so we want to shovel more in because we want to accentuate that pleasure, right? That's it. there's a lot of insight actually can happen with eating, our relationship to food, how we eat, what happens in our mind and body. So, um, so it's nice to you know whatever you're eating, take a bite, put it down, and just be present the whole process of eating. It can be very insightful. And usually we eat less when we're mindful because we're actually read the body's registering and giving us signals of that we're eating as opposed to just you know, checking out. And most of the time we're multitasking when we eat. And, um, and then notice the habituation process where the first bite is really impactful. Like you taste the apple, it's delicious and juicy. And the second bite's good and the third bite's eh, And then we space out. Because because the senses always habituate, we, we we they reduce in impact over time. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to function. So um, so there's that, and then um, you know after you've finished eating, you know you can take a walk. There is a retreat going on up the hill, as Mark said. So you know walk up this hill, but not up not past beyond the gate, the wooden gate. Um, or you're welcome to come back in here and sit. You're welcome to rest and lie down. Uh, if you need to rest after eating, which I highly recommend, if, you, if that's your thing. I'm a siesta man myself. I lived in Spain, and I never kicked the habit. Learned how to take a siesta. So, um, what else? So, we'll, so we'll come back at two o'clock. It's now ten to one, and um, so I'm going to suggest we keep this area in silence. So, if you want to be stay quiet, I actually recommend that you stay quiet. But of course, if you came with friends or you want to get to know people, of course, have a lunch, have a meal with somebody, hang out. Uh, but let's keep this space quiet for those who want to stay quiet. And um, oh, I want to leave you with a poem, a Mary Oliver poem, since it's such a beautiful day and beautiful nature here. And uh, this poem's called Mindful, I think. And it's about, you know, she's such a great nature poet. And it's uh, you know one of the one of the beautiful things about and notice this with eating when you're present we we enjoy it more right there's there's more capacity right so she says um, every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light 
It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world with joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, but of the ordinary, the common, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how could you help but grow wise with but teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. So how could we help but grow wise with but teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, and the prayers that are made out of grasses. So lots of prayers out there in the green grasses. So enjoy your lunch, enjoy this spacious time, stay present, and we'll see you back at 2. Thanks. And I'll stay behind if there's anything burning. In
Okay, welcome back from lunch. Beautiful afternoon. Hope you all got to be outside some in the hills and the sunshine. Got some rare vitamin D. Share some reflections about insight meditation practice. That's why we have places like this. Yeah. Yeah, it's harder to practice. Yeah, when you're surrounded by your stuff, it's harder. Your associations, you know, your desk. Home, yeah. I just knew, moved into a new place, and every time I'm sitting at home, I'm thinking about renovations that need to be done and <laughs> walls that need to be repaired, and the endless round of home improvement. So, there's a line from the Buddha, he said. Paraphrasing, luminous is this mind brightly shining. Oh, I've forgotten the rest of the line. Luminous is this mind brightly shining, but it is, it is obscured by visiting tendencies of mind. Luminous is this mind brightly shining. Basically, it's pointing to the capacity of the awake mind to be aware, to be clear, and yet is visited, obscured, by habits and tendencies of mind. And that's one of the things that we explore as we practice, which has really been much of the discussion this morning, is both the cultivation of awareness, the exploration of what it means to be aware and mindful, and what gets in the way. So a lot of the reflections this morning were one of the things that gets in the way are thoughts, right? our mind, our mental habits, proliferations. There's a word in the teachings called papancha, which means the proliferating mind. Right? So maybe you were sitting before lunch and you had a little rumble in your stomach because you were hungry and then the mind just didn't leave it at rumble, but it thought, oh, what, what's for lunch? Oh, I wish I'd brought, you know, falafel because I had those falafels the other day in that cafe and they were so good. I really need to find out the recipe for falafels. You know, I should go to cooking school. I think I should do night classes in cooking and then I could really eat well and get healthy and I need to work on my weight too and my, and my exercise and we're suddenly at this whole program, the gym and diet and we're learning how to cook in Italy and <laughs> wait a minute. I just had this rumble in my stomach. And then the mind proliferated into this whole web, you know. Or maybe you, you're walking out and uh, for lunch, and the person didn't see someone was behind you, so the door slammed in your face. And and rather rather than just being a simple, you know, moment of you know someone didn't know you were there, to no one ever sees me. <laughs> How come I'm always invisible? Why is it that I just you know, everywhere I go, I just get overlooked. You know, we have this whole story, the whole painful story about not being seen and how we weren't seen as a child. And you know, I need more therapy. And maybe this is my place. I don't. These aren't my people. I don't fit in. 
And the person just happened to not notice you were there. And that's, that's what we do all the time. You know, someone looks at us in a certain way or doesn't look at us in a certain way, and we make a whole universe around it, you know, often, often painful. You know. Or someone, um, I don't know, comments on our clothing or our hair or something, and it triggers our critic, and we have this whole massive attack on you know, why we're not good enough or... Like you were mentioning about getting distracted, and, and suddenly the critics all over us for being not mindful enough. You know, watch that critic. I just wrote a book, as Mark mentioned, on the inner critic, and the critic follows you everywhere. Follows you into the into the meditation hall, and suddenly you're not mindful enough. You're not meditative enough. You're not aware enough. You're not compassionate enough. You're not Buddhist enough, or whatever the the latest thing it's picking up to chastise you. So notice that. So notice. The the habits of mind that cause unnecessary distress, you know, unnecessary we the, the way we add on to our experience. Right? So sometimes m mindfulness is referred to as bare attention, as in simply being with what is without the proliferation and uh, addition of our stor stories and thoughts and judgments and ideas. And which is easier said than done. Just try to look at someone without a story coming. How many stories have you had about people here today? Oh, that's, oh, she's like so-and-so, reminds me of, you know, or that person's really spiritual, I can tell by the way they walk. And <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Maybe they just got some foot pain, they're walking really slowly because they're in pain and they're hating it, you know? I don't know, just that we make these stories about ourselves, about life. So, so one of the ways that, that mindfulness is sort of intersecting with our experience is this understanding that pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. Seeing where we add to our experience in ways that are unnecessary and painful. So one of the things we were exploring a little bit this morning that is a, a key part of uh, insight practice is this what's unusual teaching that the Buddha gave on, on it was the second foundation of mindfulness on this thing called feeling tone. Feeling tone is that we experience, every experience we have is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, or a mix of the all three. And not a big deal in itself. You know, look outside, it's beautiful view. It's mostly pleasant for most of us. Maybe we look at the concrete and it's sort of gray and uh, maybe unpleasant, or we Warm sunlight is pleasant for some, so sometimes it's unpleasant. Um, sometimes people meditation is very pleasant, other, ti other times unpleasant. Not a big deal in itself. What the teachings are pointing to is how we can live without reactivity. Without reactivity to experience the kind of reactivity that causes suffering. Not responsiveness. We want to learn to be responsive to life and people and the world and climate change and whatever it is that's calling us. Unless you believe that's an alternative fact, then you've got another kind of response. But anyhow, um, so we want we, we're shifting from reaction to response. There's a lovely line from Viktor Frankl who says, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Between the stimulus, like the news or the sunny day or someone saying something, between stimulus and response, there's a space. Getting a nasty email, say. 
in that space lies our power and freedom to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and happiness. So between stimulus and response, and what mindfulness is doing is increasing the space between stimulus and response, between stimulus and reactivity. So um, people mentioned being bored this morning. So stimulus, boredom, response, hate this, I want to do something else. Or stimulus, distracting, wandering mind. Response, I can't meditate, I'm a loser. Or... um, twinge of sensation in the knee and the response is fear and oh my god if I keep sitting like this I'm not going to be able to walk so think about so we'll explore this in our our experience in a little bit but to see how you add on to experience see how you make more of it that causes an unnecessary painful reaction so I'll give an example. So I was meditating in India years ago on, a, on one of my first long Vipassana retreats in 1992, I think. It was a 20-day silent retreat in Bodh Gaya in, in India where the place of the Buddha allegedly attained awakening. And uh, so sitting, happy to be there, lovely Thai t- temple, Thai, Thai forest temple. And... Um, there's 150 people, as with this teacher, is very inspiring to me, and just very happily, you know, inspired by being in India, the birthplace, the place where the Buddha woke up, and and then this be, uh, this pilgrim season. So there's a lot of um, pilgrims, particularly Tibetan pilgrims, that time of year, and thousands, and um, so a lot of vendors come to sell things, including this one vendor had was selling. It was a travel agency set up shop outside our, our monastery grounds, uh, selling bus tickets. And as is the way in India sometimes, they put the loudspeaker on top of the building advertising what they're selling. In this case, tickets to, you know, everywhere. And uh, they had a little tape loop. Back in the days of cassette tapes. And the advertising went, hello, 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 hello. To get your attention, grab your... And then then, uh, some words in Hindi. Tickets, Bombay, Calcutta, Delhi, Darjeeling, Madras, a few more words in Hindi, and then it rewind. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> Bus tickets to Delhi, Darjeeling, uh, loud, you know, and if we were in this concrete, big concrete kind of bunker of a meditation room. Super loud, you know, start in the morning, would go on at night, you know, and just like, oh God. It's supposed to be in the holy place of in, you know, the Buddha, and <laughs> hello, 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 shut up. <laughs> a lot of unpleasantness was being felt by us, me, and others, right? And then, and then, of course, a lot of reaction. How, you know, in righteous indignation, how dare they? This is a retreat center, and they know we were meditating, and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff, you know, homicidal feelings and <laughs> rage and, you know, planning nonviolent direct action, sneaking out. And we weren't allowed to leave the ground, so we had to, s- you know, we were planning to sneak out and snip the wires and praying for the Indian electricity to, to fade because sometimes it would because of the power cuts. So. Anyhow, it went on and on and on. It was this day two of 20-day retreat. <laughs> Shoot me now. And... Um, you know, and there's nothing to do except sit. And we're told to meditate and be with your experience and hear sound as sound. And it's just, you know, suffering is not in the sound, but in, in the reaction to the sound. 
Not so very nice. <laughs> but it's true. There's a great line from Achan Chao, a great forest meditation master, was meditating on the edge of a, f of a village, and they had a three-day celebration all night, three days. And he had this realization that, s that the sound doesn't disturb us, but we d our, our reactivity disturbs the sound. That, that the suffering is not inherent in the experience, but in our relationship to it. And so over the days, when we had nothing but to but meditate, you get to look at your own mind and the reactivity of you know, figuring out where is, is the sound suffering or is my distress and frustration and resentment and anger and attachment to silence the cause of my suffering. Of course, it's the latter. Right? So once once that's seen, it's just you know over time it was just it just became sound, and then it's at times it became humorous, and at times it would go off, and I'd then miss it, and it would come back. And, oh, there it is! Hello, hello, hello! And it became background, you know, wallpaper. And what was liberating about that insight was that to see that the, the thing that we think is causing us suffering doesn't need to disappear in order for us to feel at peace. So think of whatever it is in your life that's causing you distress and agitation and sorrow. Right? Could be the political chaos we have going on. It could be, you know, your neighbor's part wolf dog that likes to howl at every siren that my neighbor's dog used to do, um, or difficult colleague in your office, or who knows what your daily grind of commute. And just look to see where the suffering arises. Is it in the experience or is it in your reactivity to it? Hmm? They're not mutually exclusive. They're not mutually exclusive in that there are things that generally cause suffering and we also have a re suffering reaction to them. And what's happening politically, I'd say you could that would fall into that category. But we're primarily looking at how we create suffering through reactivity in ourselves. In the same way that we might say experience um, physical pain, and instead of feeling it or noticing it or being kind with it, we hate it. We judge our body. We reject it. We contract. We wish it go away. We check out. Right? We blame ourselves or our body for getting sick or getting injured or aging. So one of the ways these uh, tendencies show up is in a list that the Buddha called the hindrances, the five hindrances, and they come up, they, they occur uh, commonly in meditation, but they of course occur in life. And the reason the Buddha spoke to this, this, this teaching around the feeling tone, the pleasantness and unpleasantness of experience, is based on those we react. When, and the two primary reactions we have both in meditation and life is if something's unpleasant, we recoil. We either recoil in fear or we lash out in hatred. Right? All the things that we don't want, don't like, afraid of, right? we contract, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, relationship pain, global pain. Right? We, we, the first knee-jerk response is unpleasant. Right? It's a cold day, we contract. Pain, we contract. When it says something hurtful, we contract. So we, we and we we so that's the one primary movement. The second movement is if something's pleasant, like a night and like a you know, that nice feeling in meditation is finally the the mind shuts up, and you just have a few moments of calm and you go ah oh, finally. I better hold on to this because I don't want it to go. 
okay, what was I doing? I was sitting just like this, and okay, just, okay. But damn, it's gone. Damn. <laughs> Blew it. <laughs> and we judge ourselves for losing what came naturally through relaxation and non-grasping. So to notice that movement of wanting, grasping, clinging, attachment, demanding, yeah, we have these fundamental movements of avoiding, retrieving, or grasping. And we do that towards most experience most of the time. And in that way, we don't leave experience alone. And we're constantly in contention. So the Buddha talked about there's, a, there's, freedom, there's freedom in this life in a non-contentious relationship with experience. Which means we're not struggling with what is. And we can, we all can, we can experience both sides. Yeah. And it's interesting to have a similar experience that you encounter every day. And sometimes it's no big deal. Other times it makes you furious. Yeah. And for me, traffic's like that. Sometimes you're driving along, you have a particular destination, particular time, hit traffic. Oh, surprise, Bay Area, surprise. We now have the, l we, now ha we now have longer, long-haul commutes in the Bay Area than in Los Angeles. Yeah. Because of the distance people drive, particularly to Silicon Valley and wherever else. So um, if we have the view that there shouldn't be traffic, if traffic's a problem, we're going to suffer. Hmm? Sometimes, So sometimes we hear traffic, and it says, oh, traffic, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm just listening to the radio. Other times, like, oh, God, traffic, I hate same thing, different reaction, different experience of well-being or suffering. Mm -hmm. Notice, w you know, in that example, where does the suffering arise? Is it the traffic, or is it in the relationship to it? Mm -hmm. And can we remember that we are traffic for the person behind us? We always think traffic is those people. <laughs> If only they wouldn't go to work at the same time I do, it would be fine. <laughs> I'm not traffic. I'm just doing my, my own business. <laughs> so so there's, the, there's, the, there's the unpleasant, the reaction to what we don't want. Right? You can fill in the, the your own example. Right? What is it that you don't like, don't want? And then there's the pleasant. All the ways that we try to hold on to pleasant experience, hold on to a person being a certain way because we like them being a certain way, hold on to our meditation experience, hold on to whatever it is that's pleasurable. And again, the, the reason we hold on is because we haven't fully understood that, that we can't hold on. There's nothing to hold on to, that things change no matter how beautiful, wonderful, delicious, peaceful, fantastic, it's going to change. Right? Whatever, think of all the amazing peak moments you've had in your life. Nature and relationship and whatever. Gone. All disappeared. When we have a non-grasping relationship to life, which means we're really present, we're receptive, we're open, we ex experience fully when joy arises, we let ourselves saturate with joy, and we know it's going to pass. We know it's going to disappear like the breeze. Easier said than done. So we want to get to know these tendencies. Right? 
You know, we live in a consumer culture, so there's a lot of conditioning in us to want. Right? How many times have you been sitting on a Sunday morning, you're sitting around just having a cup of tea, and, um, and you pick up some catalog that's come through the door, I don't know, from wherever. I don't know how all these catalogs end up in our doorstep. <laughs> and you start looking, and you're not l wanting anything, but then you start looking for something to want. <laughs> looking for something to desire. Because right? that's the habit. Ooh, I want, ooh, that would be great in the bathroom. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and before that moment, we didn't know we needed anything. Right? Catalog consciousness. So and and when the you know then of course there's nothing wrong with wanting something the desire is a natural part of human experience it's when we fixate and demand i have want this have this in a certain way this should be life should be my relationship should be my partner should be like this then we get into contention because life is not like life does not conform to our preferences it conforms to life's laws Sometimes it matches and we like it <laughs> and we're happy, and sometimes it doesn't, quite often. Yeah. So we want to understand this, this mo the movements of, of recoiling from the unpleasant, of grasping onto the pleasant. And with the neutral, like the breath, like many people talked about, we get bored, we space out, and we think. We start fantasizing, you know, great sex or great movie or great something, because rather than be with neutral. We're not, you know, like the color of this wall is neutral. Right? It's not something we come to Spirit Rock to see. Oh, neutral wall, how cool. <laughs> no, it's neutral. We don't even notice it. You look out the window. And you walk, you see, you right, look right past it. But actually, in the neutral experience is quite a lot of peace. With pleasant, pleasant and unpleasant, there's a lot of agitation. Even when we're longing for something very juicy, the very longing is itself discontenting. That's a verb. You know, it's it's agitating to be to be feel like we don't we we're not we won't be happy until we have something some experience. So don't take this. Uh, don't take my word for this. And pay attention to your experience. Notice this movement. And we'll sit in a minute and we'll just see this movement towards and away from experience. The m I think the most, one of the most um, advanced practices is, is what I call non-doing practice, where you simply sit, which is a form, which is some, mindfulness has this flavor, where you simply sit and you're aware and you're not doing anything with experience. You're neither wanting some experience to happen, you're not rejecting some experience, you're just simply here with all of its joys and sorrows and pleasures and pains. Very hard for us to do that without interfering and fiddling and fixing, improving and all of that. Right? And I'm not saying there's not a place for that in our lives. We, we respond, we react, we make change, we vision, we have projects. This is not about non-doing in life. This is about an attitude of non-reactivity, which is not, which is different than non-responsive. Responsiveness is when we're not reacting. We're seeing what needs to happen, and we act. The two other 
primary uh, polarities of things that happen in meditation are the, the energetic qualities of, of uh, dullness and restlessness. And we move through these in our lives. We tend to go on sort of hyperactive, over-caffeinated, overdoing mode, and then we crash. And then we do it again the next day. <laughs> it's called work. <laughs> you know, pump ourselves up, lots of coffee, you know, to-do list, you know, go, 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 and then we zone out. Right? And that's what happens in meditation, where either, where either we see that revved up, restless, agitated, hard to settle, or we're kind of dull and sleepy. Right? So in meditation, we're cultivating this balance of wakefulness and ease or relaxation and, and alertness. Right? It's a lovely quality to develop in life. So we're not overdoing it, and we're not dull. We're not, we're not heavy. And the last hindrance is doubt. Self-doubt, the inner critic. Oh, I can't do this. This is too hard. Everybody else looks like a Buddha. They're just sitting there. They're just about to get enlightened. I'm the only one kind of just putzing around floundering with thoughts and distractions and everyone else is, you know, blissing out. Right? I can't do this. They don't know what they're talking about. I should have gone to yoga. I don't know about this meditation stuff. And maybe the Tibetans know more about these than, you know, insight. And, you know, it's, it's a, and it's so what, it, what a doubt does, it makes us withdraw from experience. We disengage and it kind of reinforces the view it's not working because when we disengage, we disengage and we stop doing the practice. Right? So all these hindrances and whatever arises in our practice is all grist for the mill. It's all It's all just the next thing to be aware of. Whether you notice this longing tendency, this reactive fear tendency, sleepy, restless, doubting, judging, you just notice, oh, we just bring it into awareness and in that moment it's not a hindrance, it's just What's here? It's just the next thing to be present for. Not a problem. From the perspective of mindfulness, it's not a problem. It's just to be known. Oh, let me, let me get to understand this reactive tendency. Let me see if, 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 it re if it's really true that this causes suffering. Maybe I enjoy being righteously angry. Maybe I feel kind of puffed up and, you know, strong. And, right? and Take a look. Take a look. So this is a reading from a friend of mine, Jennifer Wellwood, called Unconditional. And, it's, and it's, she's speaking to this attitude of how we can meet experience. She writes, open, that's right, I, I always forget this is written. This is not quite accurate. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Right? Have you ever tried to avoid an emotion? <laughs> has, it ever, has it ever been successful? <laughs> Ever try to get out of microphones? <laughs> 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 
and you go to Hawaii on holiday to get away from your sadness, and guess what happens? You show up there with your sadness. Sadness knocks on the door, three in the morning. You know, wherever we go, there we are. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. When we turn towards our experience, whatever it is, joy, sorrow, loss, fear, emptiness, deficiency, anxiety, we actually have the possibility of um, understanding. The reason things usually stay around is because we don't understand them and we're keeping them at bay. I mean, when I remember when I first started meditating, I kept sadness at bay for a long time. I just didn't want to feel sad, but every time I sat, I felt kind of, when I dropped down, it was just sad. Just kind of all-pervasive feeling. It was very unpleasant, and I just, I'm not going to feel that. I'm going to just bypass it and just bliss out, or try. <laughs> and guess what happened? It stayed around. It stayed around, and it stayed around, and it stayed around. It lasted for years. Until I started doing long retreats, in long retreats, you really don't have any escape. You're there for months. So, okay, <laughs> look, at, look at this sadness, feel this sadness. And then over time, I kind of understood the feeling, the causes, and it eventually moved through, and it was no longer my sort of substrata emotion. But only happened because it turned towards it. So this is what the practice is inviting. Can we turn towards our experience, whatever it is? And each one of us has uh, something that we're, you know, it's not many things that are not so easy to be with. You know? And that's why we also want to infuse our practice with love, <coughs> with kindness. Because what we're sitting with is not easy. Being human is not easy. Having a heart that has loss and vulnerability and sensitivity and having a body that gets sick and ages and having relationships that are troubling and that we lose and they're in conflict and being in a world that's destroying itself, not easy things to be with. Hmm? So we need to have the presence and awareness flavored, imbued with kindness, with love. Because when, the, when, the, when, our, when our awareness is infused in that way, there's more capacity. When, when our loving heart is engaged, we have more ability to hold difficult experience, to hold ourselves, to hold each other. So this is, I'll share this poem and then we'll sit and then we'll explore some of these things. So this is a poem I wrote called The Turn, which I think is the, one of the key things in, in, our, in our meditative journey when we begin to realize the turn we have to turn towards, not away from. Your only duty is not to run from here, from this. Even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day. You could pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing, making the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there is no choice but to surrender, to turn towards, inwards, to your loneliness and the empty places within that you've spent a lifetime running from, embracing them with delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, 
every twisted branch. Even the forgotten needles fall into the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that is waiting, that is always right here. So that invitation is always right here to, to, to drop into the roots of ourselves and really get to, under to know and understand with sensitivity and kindness this, this being, this heart, this mind, these patterns. Your being here today is an act of love for yourself, an act of compassion, right? to understand the ways that you get caught. Right? And we all get caught. Otherwise, you'd be hiking today as opposed to being inside meditating. <laughs> you'd be at the beach <laughs> or somewhere, maybe. Okay, so let's sit again. Maybe let's actually just first stand just to stretch a little. Just whatever you need to do is stretch, move, shake, something. And again, if you're by the windows and they're not open, please open them up. It's kind of warm in here. Yes. I know. <laughs> we don't like that. And then you deal with tiredness. Grumpiness. All right, so when you're ready, taking your seat. And this afternoon, I don't want to um, plant a seed, but y if you do notice you're a little more tired or sleepy, then you might want to open the eyes. You might want to stand. Standing is a great practice, just to be in the fire of the experience. And if you feel sleepy halfway through, just stand up. It'll wake, you, it'll wake yourself up. Kay. Otherwise, again, just Closing the eyes, turning the gaze inwards. Bringing your shoulders back, yeah. open, relaxed, grounded, upright. As you take your seat, first just noticing what's here. What do you encounter when you take your seat? 
what calls your awareness, rather than jumping into the habit of your meditation, whatever that is, just notice what's here. Calls your attention, sounds, sensations, breath. Landing awareness in your body. So you always have a sense that you're arriving here, embodied, shifting from head to body. Right, aware of your breath. Noticing the quality of the breath this afternoon, perhaps different than this morning. As you're sitting this afternoon, attending to this um, notion of pleasantness, unpleasant feeling tone. So as you take your seat and you're breathing, sensing, listening, just notice in this moment, is it pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? The breath. Or the sound, or your body, or the temperature, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And of course, it's changing rapidly. Our experience is changing moment by moment. Noticing if you can simply be with the pleasantness, 
of the unpleasantness, or whether there's some reaction, pushing away, contracting from the unpleasant, wanting to get rid of, wanting to hold on and grasp the pleasant. sitting, breathing, and aware of breathing. And you can sit with two orientations. One, with an anchor for the attention, like the breath. Always a place you return to. And the body as the ground for the attention. Or you can sit with a more open quality of awareness, where you're simply present to the moment-to-moment -moment flow of experience. Hearing, breathing, sensing, thinking, feeling, hearing, sensing. You're simply present to whatever experience is predominant, moment by moment.
it's unclear where to place the attention, then simply tending to the breath as your touch point, your anchor. And being curious, sounds arise, sensations arise, feelings, impingements arise, noticing them, naming, oh, feeling, grasping, aversion. the experience and aware of your response to the experience. Resisting, allowing, reacting, judging.
few minutes of the sitting and where the attention has wandered begin again let go of what's happened and you meet this moment this experience this breath this sound this sensation this emotion with a kind curious attention As we bring the meditation to a close, I'll ring the bell and just notice, like as you reflect on this practice, what arises for you? Presence, concentration, challenge, sleepiness, boredom, reactivity, thinking that once the bell rings, you'll be happy that somehow experience is different before the bell and after the bell. Just being here, present. As I mentioned, this we often talk about this practice being simple but not easy. Okay, simple, pay attention, feel your breath, feel your body, notice your emotions, notice your thought wandering, come back. Okay. No rocket science. Harder to do than, than we think. So let's do some more walking practice and freshen up our energy. So we're going to do the similar practice to last time, except 
to not just be aware of your body, but also expand the attention the way that we've expanded the attention from the simple breath to all of our experience. Yeah, be fully aware of your, your whole body and also the sounds and the feelings that arise in your body. And just you know, be aware of the environment without getting lost out there. You're still walking up and down, but have some awareness of, you know, you might go to your walking spot, stop, look, take it in, beautiful appreciation, feeling the whatever you feel in response to the nature here. And when you walk up and down, you might notice, who knows what, people, birds. You know, you, if, if your attention's called, stop, look at something, whatever it is, and then carry on. So you're not doing, multi, you're not multitasking. Walking up and down, being aware, very simple. And then we'll come back in uh, half an hour for some, uh, the closing wrap and the closing set and some questions. And I'll happily stay behind also. Um, and uh, yeah, so there'll be a bell in mm, 25 minutes or so. Um, okay. Okay. There is a mailing list out there if anybody's interested in the work that I'm doing. Um, we'll talk more about that when we wrap up later. Thank you. Yes.
comments or questions before we continue? Walking, working with pleasantness, unpleasantness, lots of pleasantness outside, lots of pleasant, warm sunlight on the skin, which we haven't had much of, and pleasing sights and colors and <coughs> smells and plant life and Noticing how 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 affected we are, you know, how interdependent we are. You know, one of the you know, key teachings of this practice is understanding how intimately interwoven and interrelated we are with everything else, including our environment, including how things continually impact us. So we build retreat centers in beautiful places for that reason, to uplift the heart and the mind, the soul. So, questions, observations, the walking, sitting, yes. sleepy or so just soft mm -hmm. less yeah diminished <laughs> yes I mean definitely uh, for most people not for morning people but for most people the morning time is brighter you know for practice that's why yogis and meditators have gotten up early for a long time <laughs> the mind's bright after the meal, and you know, there's something soft about the afternoon when our energy softens, right? Uh, the, the luminosity softens. Clarity can do, not for everybody. And it comes and goes, you know. Everything is impermanent, including our clarity, you know, including our attention. So, you know, and, and then we just learn to ride the waves, right? So, time's bright, time's dull, time's subtle, times curious. Right? So we work with what we have. Right? So even when, we're s even when we are, when our energy is low, we still can be present. We're just, it's just different. It's just softer or less crisp or less penetrating in a certain way. About the walking, the no, no, noticing any any hindrances, perhaps one or two hindrance attack where they all come together. <laughs> Boredom, restlessness, hating it, wanting something else. Yes, in the back. Maybe we can do mics if if there's. there's with my thoughts and I would grasp onto them. So I was noticing grasping. Yeah. Any advice on that? Um, 
Well, mostly just to notice it. It's not a problem in itself. You know, we, there's lots of beautiful things, and there's lots of beautiful things that we like, and then and then and then we shift from liking to wanting. It's a gotta have. How can I take this without anybody noticing? <laughs> <laughs> How can I sneak it into my car later, pretend it's a walking stick, and then, you know, and then we have this whole proliferation. You know. Yes, and it's. Uh, and these things are neither good nor bad in themselves. So it's very easy in, in the in spiritual circles to, to shun, you know, like we hear, you know, desire is bad or something. Desire is bad, can't have desires. And then we sit on our desires. You know? Desires are just part of being human. It's how we relate to them, you know, what we do with that. Right? So you see the stick and you see the art and you think about the art project and you know, definitely. I know that experience, walking past beautiful fallen trees and thinking that would be a great Ikebana arrangement. And okay, and then how, how about I let go so someone else can enjoy it also? You know, so you so you see it, notice the feeling, notice the you know, notice the grip. There's usually a grip with grasping. It's like, oh, gotta have it, take it. Something to see, quick. It's just your walking, but who cares? Right? And then just oh, noticing, liking, grasping. What's it like to? let it go, you know. In this case, pretty easy, probably, to let go. Something a little harder, like when it's to do with our loved ones or our money or our shiny objects. So, but it's, but the most part is just to see it and then to f and to see the 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 unsatisfactory nature of it. And even though if it's if it, it's a, about a pleasant thing, the whole relationship to it becomes unpleasant. The grip of wanting, the grip of grasping, the grip of demanding, the grip of I gotta have it. If I don't get it, I'm gonna be miserable. Right? All the stories and the belief you know, the a lot of the beliefs fueling grasping and aversion is if only I have this thing, if only I get rid of this thing, I'll be happy. Well, maybe for a moment. Maybe. Yeah. So notice it, see it come and go. Anybody noticing any grasping or aversion? These tendencies? Wanting, not wanting, longing? Aversion to pain. Yeah, we had a lot of comments about pain earlier. Yeah, very common, very natural. You know, who wants to have pain? Right? So we contract, we hate it, we blame it, we judge it, we reject it. And you know, that wouldn't be so bad if it worked. <laughs> it just compounds the experience. You know, it's what the Buddha called the second arrow. We have the, the first arrow is pain, physical pain. We have a body, it's going to have pain, discomfort, aches, injuries, illness. Right? That's just the first arrow of suffering. The second arrow is what we do with it. Right? We hate it, we judge it, we contract, we fear it, we blame ourselves, we reject our body. We right? That's a whole lot of extra suffering. So, you know, what's radical about this practice is, is learning to simply acknowledge and be with what's here, including pain, and, and knowing that we can find ease amidst pain. I've had plenty of chronic pain, as, as I'm sure many of you have or had. And, you know, at times it's hard, and at times it's suffering, and at times it's just pain, depending on what my level of reactivity is to it judgment of it is. 
so, so again, we're bringing awareness to that and bringing awareness to pain, bring awareness to the contraction around the pain. Usually there's a lot of tensing and tightening around the pain. You know, I worked with this woman, I used to teach MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. I was working in a Kaiser hospital somewhere up in uh, Sonoma. And um, she had a lot of neck pain, chronic neck pain. And people end up at the MBSR pain classes because they're the medicine, the surgeries, whatever, hasn't the, the sort of medical system given up on them sometimes. And she said so she had chronic neck pain and she'd had it for 10 years. And in about after about I don't know, four or five classes, she came back and we'd have a report back about the homework, practicing at home. And she said, I had this really powerful experience. I was, I was, I was sitting in meditation and instead of what I realized that what I call my pain is really just the, all the tightness and the fear and the contraction. And I was able in the meditation to soften that a little and I was actually able to get right to the source of the pain, right at that sort of nerve impingement. And um, it didn't make the pain go away, but it make, made her ab ability to tolerate it grow and to see that it was coming and going. To, and to the contraction felt solid, but the, the actual nerve pain was 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 uh, ebbed and flowed. So that's the beauty. That's the turn. We turn towards, and we go. Oh, how can I be with this with kindness, you know, with with breath, with love? And then we also know, we we understand that being with it, hanging out with it for very long is not doesn't not so helpful either. We need reprieve. And chronic pain is draining. So we need to learn how to shift our attention towards that which is not the pain. Beauty, nature, breath, sounds, you know, many things not the pain. Right? And pain coalesces attention. Right? It's, it's a vortex. It pulls us into it, pulls the attention into it. Sometimes necessary, but often if it's chronic, not so helpful because we just get drained. So we learn to notice the pain and shift the attention to the, to the non-pain, right? which allows our nervous system to release a little and find more nourishment, be more resource, more energized. So when the pain flares up again in our attention, there's a little more capacity. Right? Not easy. Yeah. So we need a lot of compassion for ourselves. And also, and, and, and see the fluctuation, you know, we tend to think of when our concepts are not very, ac not very accurate representations of experience. You know, we say oh, back pain, knee pain, which doesn't really mean anything compared to the actual visceral, changing, fluid, dynamic, ebbing and flowing, pulsing, vibrating, piercing experience, right? So... when we can be more aware, we can see that it's not this solid, unchanging mass, right? which actually helps give a little bit of tolerability to it. Yes, yes, hi. Hi, that theory, that way of being always has confused me. Instead of um, distracting or letting it go, what if, and this is what I do, I ask, okay, Bobby, what's going on? Tell me about this pain in the neck. What are you telling me? Mm -hmm. And embracing the conversation between us. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't do this out loud, you know, online at the bank or 
at, the, at a restaurant, but to have a conversation and really trust my body saying something. Mm-hmm. And even ask it, what, what's its name? Tell me, do you have a name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're coming into an intimate relationship with it. Exactly. Yeah. And so the, yeah. two are not ex- the two modes are not mutually exclusive. What do you mean? Well, what, I, what you're doing, what I'm suggesting uh, earlier, are not ex- mutually exclusive. Bo- both, both are skillful means, right? The many skillful means are working with pain. Right? Intimacy, understanding it, shifting attention away from it, loving it, getting good skilled medical help. And respecting it. <coughs> like, hey, buddy, you're talking to me. What do you need? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. It's the first step is acknowledging meeting it, allowing it. But when it's chronic and it's been around for some time, you need other strategies also. Correct. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. This over here in the front. Thanks. Okay. He's going to come anyway. Uh-huh. And um, so thusly found myself indulging in that, uh-huh. um, not with a grasping um, sensation, but just enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, um, what if you, f- I mean, is that okay? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's not, I, I mean, it's <laughs> meditating in the present, but it's, I certainly felt indulgent. Um, and I was, I stopped walking and I just sat and um, indulged mm-hmm. and I wouldn't do that with pain, so then on the other end of the spectrum, should we do that with joy? Uh-huh. I mean, it seems like a pretty silly question now that I'm saying it out loud. I think you know your answer. So I would just, cha- I would just be, uh, um, change the language. I don't think it's indulging. Although you, could, you could call it indulging, but I think it's just allowing and experiencing, right? So you're sitting in the sun experiencing the pleasure of warmth and sunlight and maybe there's this a beautiful spring day, right? So you're just allowing yourself to have that experience very fully. It's a beautiful thing. And there's a lot of pain and stress in the world, so it's important that we also open to beauty and joy and love and, and delight and rapture and all those things. Because, yeah, you know, why not? It's free. It can be free. <laughs> we can pay a lot of money for it, but it's mostly free. In uh, if we can be aware, and then and then you know it's savoring, savoring the pleasant. Then you notice the savoring, which is different than the grasping it, right? They're very different qualities. So the grasping is is wanting more or or demanding something, whereas the 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 savoring is just ah, look at this joy, light, warmth. And then, you know, and of course, when we turn our attention to anything, it allows it to flourish. So if we feel the joy and we acknowledge it, it actually allows the grow the joy to, to, to flower. It's beautiful. You know, and then it, you know, everything has its ebb and flow, and it eventually will we'll get bored or, or itchy or restless or need a cup of tea or something, and then the next thing. This is about sitting. Um, my attention is fairly good when I'm breathing in and out, and I have long pauses mm-hmm. between breaths, probably as long as the breath. Mm-hmm. And that's when I get lost most often. Mm-hmm. Would you speak to that? Yeah. Please? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true, it's often the place we space out. We space out in the pause, we space out at the end of the out-breath because it's more subtle. In-breath is more impactful than the out-breath usually. Um, so, so, it, so it's important, if that's true, especially if it's long, which it is for you, that you have a secondary uh, anchor, right? If the breath is the primary anchor, the secondary anchor is what you go to when there's no breath. So for some, it's touch points. One touch point or many, you might notice your hands or your feet or your knees or your hands, knees, feet, in-breath, out-breath, hands, knees, feet. Right? So you're giving the attention some grounding or you just sit with a more general body awareness. So you become aware of all the sensations that are present in the body as you sit in between breaths. So you might be, so what I do is when I'm sitting and there's a pause, I'm just aware of the energy, the energetic quality of my torso. Energy in the body, the aliveness. So just notice that, or, or just a general posture. So you gra- so it's grounded, rather than because if not grounded, then it, there's the, 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 the merest thought will, you know, will pull the attention because it's m- something other than nothing. Do you talk about slow rage during meditation? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm the Hulk. Like I'm trying to like I'm like trying to resist that feeling of just like shattering everything and like moving uh-huh. again. Uh-huh. Um, and what's the rage in response to? I mean, I run around all day long. I don't spend much time quiet and calm. So this is mm. kind of this is a difficult place to be sometimes. Mm. It definitely mm. starts off easier in the morning, and throughout the day gets harder. Moving mm. around is easier, but. Mm-hmm. Um, just staying with it and not wanting to like rebel. Staying with <laughs> sitting in meditation. Uh huh. And what would the rebellion be like? Moving. Stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving. Getting up. Like yeah. I almost wanted to ask the question like, what if it's just not working? Can you stop for the day? Uh huh. <laughs> Did you ever give up ten minutes in and be like, not today? I do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But that seems the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, I don't think any one way is the way, right? So just because you decide to sit doesn't mean, you know. I mean, I think in general it's good just to, ha- you know, hang in there just because there's, there's usually you know, something. There's something above and beyond what we think of as something happening that is happening, right? It's like part of the Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, um, opening. So basically, it sounds like it's a pressure cooker at times, yeah. and you and there's a then so the, with the pressure you want there's, there's a kind of wanting to, you know, break out, explode, yeah. push back, right? So then you want to think about one, what's creating the pressure, and two, what allows the pressure to ease, mm-hmm. right? So I don't know about that. you can li- you can inquire into the first one. Um, but th- it could be, you know, you know how we orient to the practice. You know, like, you know, mm, so there's usually some idea of what, like, what we should, you know, we should sit still, or something should happen, or we actually get concentrated, or it's got to have some, you know, ROI. It's got to have some benefit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're so we're placing s- rather than just mm, just sitting and seeing what happens. There's like no, there's like 
you know, I've got 20 minutes here, and I want to, you know, enlightenment or bust, you know, it's... <laughs> so noticing what, what you come in with, right, what kind of intentional pressure is being built, you know, coming in. Right? When I sit, I just sit, and I just, I'm just curious. Like, I don't do much. I'm just, you know, sometimes use a technique, but mostly just sitting and being aware. And some, you know, it's a whole variety of things. Sometimes lovely, sometimes boring, sometimes, but usually engaging in some way for me. And then the second is, how do you release the pressure once it's building or built? And um, so a few things. One is eyes. You might just open your eyes, because sometimes the eyes closed. It can feel like a pressure cooker. You open your eyes and just have sit with a relaxed gaze, as if you were sitting on your couch. Right? And you're sitting on your couch for 20 minutes. You probably wouldn't get a pressure cooker thing. You just like enjoy sitting on your couch, right? Okay. <laughs> ah, that may be the problem. <laughs> um, so, okay. So you're a very dynamic, doing kind of person, sounds like. Yeah. This is execution. So maybe th in those times where you go like, oh, I can't bear the thought of sitting still, you do walking practice. And maybe you do a lot more walking practice than sitting practice. You know, in the corridor of your house or the deck or the yard or, you know, somewhere you feel comfortable where you're actually letting the energy move. That may be a more suitable practice. Just like I have many friends who can't sit until they've done a yoga practice because they need to move the body a little bit before they can settle. You know, totally you know, fine, just knowing what works for you. Um, and then, um, you know, but play with, you know, opening the eyes, um, having, a, you know, uh, listening to sounds, Anything that brings in a sense of spaciousness rather than, you know. So, so laying off on the concentration, like if you're trying to like focus on the breath, focus on the breath, just relax into more open awareness. Eyes open, hearing, relaxing the body. Maybe a phrase like, this too shall pass, right? Because it will. <laughs> and, um, you know, maybe some loving kindness. You know the loving kindness practice? So a little loving kindness to self. May I find ease amidst the, the tension, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. No, you're not alone, and I think it is important for us to find the right practice at the right time, you know. And and it may there may be some wisdom when when you're both saying mm, ten minutes. I'm, you know, it's like maybe that maybe this saying something. You know, you may ask yourself, what would be a more useful contemplative mindfulness activity that would be supportive that's not working in the sitting. You know, standing, walking, being outside, you know, many ways to be mindful. Yeah. So, good. Yes. Um, I, I'm curious if you could speak to uh, contrast the, the two that we've done today, the movement versus sitting. And just are they are they two different ways of getting to the same sort of mindfulness because they seem completely different to me. Mm -hmm. And so, how uh, is it good to, to do both? Is it is it what works for you, or are we exercising two different forms of um, being in the present awareness? Um, I think all of the above. Um, Most people in their daily practice sit rather than walk, uh, partly out of habit, 
partly under association, partly there's a there's something happens in the sitting where we completely withdraw our senses from the world and, and really become internal that is very potent. Right? There's something there's a way that we meet ourselves very directly and nakedly that's that we we do less when there's any other activity. Right? It's just there's just there's a sort of sitting with ourselves and nothing else, right? That's very powerful when we get to know ourselves very intimately. And the walking practice, the standing practice are also very powerful practices. Um, and there are ways that we learn to integrate that stillness and, and the awareness that comes from the stillness into ordinary activity and, you know, as we move through life. And um, so you can play with you know, alternating. You can play with doing a little of both in your daily practice. Um, and I, I'd mostly say do one or the other. Uh, and, and see, experiment, really. Um, but I think there's something very valuable about the sitting, actually. And and there's a lot of value to be gained from the walking. Like for for a lot of people, like to really get a sense of these practices more, it's helpful to do a residential retreat because you get to drop in and you you have a whole day of just sitting and walking. And you really get to see the balance and the distinction and the value of each practice and how they interweave and support each other. So, so, and that's really true for everybody. I'd recommend doing a residential retreat to really deepen in this practice. Um, and often what people find in the walking practice is it's actually very insightful in a way that the, in, you know, just in that, analogy I gave of, of, um, of Einstein uh, having insights when he's sailing, when we're walking, we're a little less pressure cookery than when we're sitting. More relaxed, more body, bilateral movement, which helps the brain process. And, um, and often it's a place we have more insight. Like I go hiking a lot in nature, and I have a lot of insights when I'm walking mindfully out in nature. Just there's something about that activity that seems to be support reflection and contemplation so um you know so both have their you know stillness and movement both have their place and their, their values and it's good to learn how to be proficient in both actually yeah yeah the contemplation arises out of an aware mind <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a w you know, you we can be mindful that we're thinking, and we can, we can, we can reflect con mindfully. You know, we can be, we can take a long walk and and decide to reflect on you know something that you heard today, and you uh, and it's it's I mean that's a whole practice in itself. For me, the re reflection is is like you you plant it. It's like planting a seed. And you um, say you have a topic like, mm, uh, you know, like you're exploring the, the awareness. Say, right? What is awareness? Right? Interesting thing to reflect on. So you you so as you're moving and and walking and there's just some 
you just hold the, it's more like holding a question is how I, is how I like to contemplate. You hold a question, you're not thinking about it as if you're having a sort of logical debate. And you just allow the thoughts to percolate with some awareness with it. But that's different than mindful walking, where we're letting go of the, the ruminating mind. Thanks. And question, yes. Can you uh, expand or tell me more about uh, mantras? Mm -hmm. what, do, what do you want to know? What's the, context, what's the context of the question? Well, it, when you're beginning to learn meditation, at what point would it be appropriate to, to use a mantra? Anytime? Yeah. yeah, it's a concentration practice, just like using the breath as a concentration practice. So, um, you know, if you find it supportive, it's a useful tool, you know, either in the sitting or in going about your day. You know, just like you'll see Tibetan monks and they're chanting, Om Mani Padme Hong, Om Mani Padme Hong, all day. Keeps the mind from spinning out about whatever it spins out about. So it keeps it focused. And that's a great practice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be helpful. It's not what we teach in mindfulness practice, but it's a supportive practice for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should close with a with a short. Um, we're actually quite running out of time. Let's just sit for a few minutes, and we'll just wrap this up. And I want to just do a little loving kindness practice. Finding your meditation seat, relaxing into your posture. to your heart center, feeling the breath in the chest. And taking a moment to sense any quality of gratitude or appreciation for um, for having this opportunity to be here to practice, to meditate, to learn, to study, to be with others. Appreciating the efforts you put in today. 
easy to meditate, not easy to stay focused for the day. Gratitude for people here supporting the practice. Remember the loving kindness practice was simply the saying and the wishing of our intentions or aspiration of goodwill and friendliness. These are a few phrases that you can Offer to yourself, repeat to yourself silently, an extension of our warmth. May I be happy. May I be healthy and strong in body. May I be safe. May I live with ease. happy. May I feel healthy and strong. May I be safe. May I live with ease. <coughs> Whatever words of kindness you like to wish for yourself, love and accept myself just as I am. <coughs> and extending the same wish to anybody here in this room, those you know, those you don't know. like-minded aspiration to develop more awareness, more insight. Just as I wish to be happy, may you too feel happy. Be healthy. May you be safe from harm. Live with ease. And calling to mind a loved one, a friend, family, bringing these wishes to them. May I too be happy.
extending outwards in rippling circles, all the beings of this land, all creatures and mammals and species everywhere, all endangered species. Peoples, all children, the vulnerable, and those who are suffering. Peoples, all creatures, all beings everywhere, be happy. peace and harmony. Close with a reading from Diane Ackerman. In the name of daybreak and the eyelids of morning and the wayfaring moon and the night when it departs, I swear I will not dishonor my own soul with hatred but offer myself humbly as a guardian of nature, as a healer of misery, a messenger of wonder, and an architect of peace. I swear I will honor all life, wherever and in whatever form it may dwell, on earth my home and in the mansion of the stars. So, um, so there's only so much one can do in a day. <laughs> Feels like it flies by from my point of view. There's so many things. There's you know, exploring insight meditation. You know, it's a vast tradition. The Buddhist tradition is vast, and so so there's been like a little pointers and tasters today of of some elements of that practice and tradition. Um, and you know, there's great resources to learn and study. There's a lot of books you can read. and But mostly we want to be practicing. We want to be actually living and integrating and learning how to live this stuff. So, um, so I encourage you to practice, to meditate, and find ways to integrate this into your life. Um, if this is new f to you, you know, first welcome to Spirit Rock. And of course, this is one of your, can be one of your spiritual homes. So please come back. Um, lots of classes, courses, teachings, retreats, all kinds of, you know, lots of online resources available now here, through here. Um, there's, there's good apps that are available these days um, that help you, you know, with guided meditations. Um, I'm on an app called will.com, W-H-I-L.com. Um, I, I can send out an email to people who are interested um, if you sign up on the list out there, there's a, you can give a c an access code. You can use it for a few months. Um, but it can be very supportive, you know, and there's a slew of other apps and, 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 and resources for guided meditation, which I highly recommend in the beginning. Um, there's a great resource here called Dharma Seed, D-H-A-R-M-A Seed. 
all the talks that are given here, I think this, 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 the talks I've given here will be online. So there's thousands of talks you can download for free. Um, and um, if you want to find out about my work, you can go to markcolman.org, M-A-R-K, Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N.org. And I have information about my teachings and nature retreats and programs and teacher trainings and um, corporate work and uh, we just Spirit Rock and I have just released a, a new course based on some of my book just came out the inner, the inner critic called Make Peace with Your Mind and we just released a um, online video course um, it's an exploration of that theme so just in case you know someone who has a critic I mean I know there's no critics <laughs> in the room here but just in case you know you know someone um, so and uh, you know I, I teach day longs here probably once a month or once every couple of months I teach the Monday night class here and here on Monday this Monday um, and um, yeah so lovely to meet you all lovely to connect and hope I see you again and uh, hope this day was useful and may it support you in your heart and your life and your practice so thank you everyone yeah, pleasure to be here with you Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.